this chick in some work, but I finally have them. There's rumors, Amanda, that some of them have abilities. Oh, yeah. I have seen things. Maybe Superman was some kind of beacon for them to creep back from the shadows. This is now playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Part of the now playing DC Comic Movie Series. A golden age of heroes fighting together to defend life on Earth. Hosted by Arnie. I heard you're a few clowns short of the circus. Stuart. Still think it was a good idea bringing him along. And Jacob. So this is us. Yeah, this is us. At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the DC Universe movies featuring Superman. I grew up in Kansas, Jeff. About as American as it gets. Batman. Yeah, we just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Wonder Woman. Oh, I don't think you've ever known a woman like me. Suicide Squad. What the hell's wrong with you people? We're bad guys. It's what we do. And Justice League. They said the age of heroes would never come again. That's too. This episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and strong language. Are you effing stupid? Listener discretion is advised. Let's save the world. Today we're discussing Zack Snyder's Justice League. Starring Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Gal Gadot, Ray Fisher, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller, Willem Dafoe, Jesse Eisenberg, Jeremy Irons, Diane Lane, Connie Nelson, and J.K. Simmons. Directed by Zack Snyder. Miss me? This is Arnie, co-host and now playing. And Stuart. And this is the co-host who has special skills including Gorilla Sign Language. Jacob. And guys, why why are we doing this? I went back and rewatched the 2017 Justice League. It says directed by Zack Snyder. We got the Snyder Cut. Done. Goodbye, everyone. Good night. I imagine Alan Smithy did not want the credit for that one. <laughs> Warner didn't it's, want Alan Smithy. It wasn't so bad Alan Smithy didn't even want it. Well, I've heard that per Director Guild rules, you had to shoot 50.1% of a movie to get your name on the title. I don't think Zack Snyder shot 50.1% of 2017's Justice League. Mm, I think he did. There's a lot of that footage in here, and I read that he would not put one second, not one frame of whatever Whedon shot into his film. There's a lot of stuff from that original in this one. I had forgotten that they had not given Whedon credit. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about that movie, period, but I haven't gone back. I didn't watch it. I've not really been a fan of the DC Universe, but my memory was... It went out in the name of Whedon. And walk me through why this happened again, because I have not been following the back and forth that you guys clearly are up on. Okay, I'm going to take you way back to the beginning here. Man of Steel. Okay, that was like 2013? Mm-hmm. Marvel had put out Avengers, Nolan had just finished his Dark Knight trilogy, and Warner Brothers is feeling the heat. Why aren't we making the billion dollars that Marvel now Disney is, off of comic book movies, working with Nolan, handpicked, Snyder came to become the architect of the DC Extended Universe of Movies, given unlimited control over what he does. 
That makes sense if it were Christopher Nolan. But Zack Snyder at this point is the guy that made 300 and Dawn of the Dead. And Sucker Punch, I think. Yeah. So E, right? Like, really? You're going to give him all the keys? <laughs> I mean, and they let him do whatever. Jason Momoa came in to, I believe it was, audition for Superman. And Snyder's like, I see you as an Aquaman. And Warner Brothers is like... Aquaman is blonde and thin <laughs> and clean shaven. And they're like, no, I think I, we're going to go a different way with Aquaman. So Man of Steel came out and Warner Brothers was a little bit disappointed. It only made like under 700 million worldwide. You, when you're trying to go up against a billion of the Avengers. All right, but 700 million, nothing to sneeze at. Go ahead, Snyder. Let's do the next one. And I will say, I did, for this viewing, go back and watch Man of Steel. Not as good as I remembered it. I remember it feeling pretty solid. It's shaky there. Like, in trying to craft it as this Nolan jumping around in time thing. Because they didn't want to tell an origin story chronologically, I feel like the movie's pretty disjointed. It's okay. I still like it well enough. I rewatched it not all that long ago. It doesn't compare to the first couple Christopher Reeves, but other than that, it's probably the best Superman movie we have compared to Steel. Or... <laughs> yeah, better than Superman Returns. I mean, I've put it on the same level. But remember from back then, depending on how Man of Steel did, there would be a Batman movie and a Man of Steel 2 and then get to Batman v Superman. And eh, well, Warner Brothers thought we already had the Avengers. We're coming up on Avengers 2 already. Let's kind of move the team forward. Snyder was for that. So Batman v Superman. And that one disappointed at the box office and got bad critical reviews. I went back to that one as well. I actually went to the the long cut that supposedly is the Zack Snyder cut of that film. It's about 30 minutes additional. Basically, it helps explain the stupid. Like, if you <laughs> watch that movie, and the reason why I didn't recommend it, because there were just too many details of like, wait, what? They blame him for the African attack? All of that really does get elucidated in a longer, and boy, you do feel the length, but that longer cut is less stupid. I don't know if it's a much better film for it, but I would say that I probably would give that a weak recommend at this point. I recommended the regular cut. I like the longer cut a little bit better. I'd never watch the shorter cut again. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. I would never watch the longer cut again, which I agree. It explains more, but it doesn't make the film any better. It didn't change my opinion of it. I gave it a weak recommend for the original cut. And yeah, that kind of stays with the director's cut. If it's your first time, watch that longer cut because it will explain those holes. But I don't need to see it again. Well, again, but as someone that didn't recommend it. That is telling that it changed your arrow. Man of Steel went down and Batman v Superman went up. Everything is sort of leveling off and feeling the same. Of course, as much as it explains more, Zack Snyder's doubling down on the, if you laugh at the Martha thing, you just didn't get the emotional core. I'm still laughing at Martha. No, that was bad. That was always <laughs> bad and always will be bad. Yeah, I, I got questions about what Snyder thinks is emotional, but we'll get into it with this cut. So production head Greg Silverman went on record talking about what happened back then. And basically, his exact quote is, we make crowd pleasers. Zack knows how to make crowd pleasers. He made 300. But here with Batman v Superman, crowds weren't pleased. So Warner Brothers lost faith in Snyder's ability, direct quote from a Variety article, and Marvel kept doing better and better financially. Warner Brothers blamed it on Snyder's depiction of gloomy heroes. 
They were people burdened with their powers, not excited with their powers, and that's just not what people wanted to see. Although, I would say that Snyder didn't do that. Christopher Nolan did that. And he did it well. And Sikbosk's office reflects that people liked that take when it's done really well. So they didn't yank him off Justice League. There were rumors, if you recall, from that time that Snyder was fired and they were bringing in somebody new for Justice League. That didn't happen. And Snyder approached it as, I have a five-movie plan for my Justice League saga. Mm-hmm. I can believe that. This cut is going to tell us, like, kind of what his idea is for these Justice League films. We're never getting them, right? Probably not, no. Because he has spilled every plot detail. I've got it for you. But while they didn't fire Snyder for Justice League, he was babysat. They had Warner Brothers co-production head John Berg, name you may know, and DC creative chief Jeff Johns. And one or both had to be on set overseeing Snyder's every decision, every step of the way. And their job was to mediate between a director who had a dark vision and a studio who wanted jokey jokes. And so there are places where they got Snyder to interject some humor. I'm guessing with the Flash mostly. Mm -hmm. And they just didn't even pass on a lot of the notes to Snyder because they're like, that just won't even fit in the movie that's being shot. Warner Brothers did completely nix, though, no matter how hard Snyder fought for it, a subplot where Lois and Batman fall in love before Superman is resurrected, and then there's a love triangle when Superman comes back. I think it's in this cut. I mean, I think it's, like, in the background. We can talk about it. You think he tried to sneak it back in? I mean, I think there's implications... She had a pregnancy test sitting around. Yeah, I definitely think she was knocking on somebody's door while she was grieving. And it wouldn't be unsurprising if a future sequel revealed that. So they were nearly done shooting. And then a tragedy did occur. Zack Snyder's daughter, Autumn, had struggled with depression and she took her own life. 20 years old, just... I mean, that is terrible no matter what. And I remember I felt more forgiving of Justice League knowing that it was made under the auspice of tragedy. That's what I heard, too. And I remember like, oh, OK, let's cut the guy a break. And this film is obviously a troubled production. But then I heard after that that maybe that wasn't the reason he left. Well, he did go back. And there was two months of finishing the shooting and post-production, and he showed the cut to Warner Brothers, and it was a four-hour cut, and Warner Brothers is like, no, cut two of those. And Snyder's like, I can't introduce six characters in two hours, and every single day of making this had been a fight. So the way Snyder describes it is, had it not been for Autumn's death, he would have stayed, he would have fought, making every movie with a studio is a fight in certain ways. But because of Autumn's death, and because he felt the studio was fighting against him in every way, he decided he'd rather spend the time with his family and rebuilding the family instead of fighting with Warner Brothers. He went back to work on this thinking it might help him in the grieving process to focus on work, but work was such a battle, he was like, no, I'm done. Now, there still is the other story out there that Warner Brothers is like, would you like to quit gracefully or would you like us to fire you? And there was a little bit of a transition along the way. One of those fights was some reshoots were starting to take place. This is common. You know, every 
Marvel film has reshoots because you're putting the film together. Lucas, I think, really pioneered this once you started doing digital filmmaking. It's like, yeah, I could add this scene here, add that scene there, add an entire conveyor belt fight in Attack of the Clones. Yeah, you can't add a real apple, though, for Padme to bite. (laughs) But Joss Whedon was on the Warner Brothers lot working on Batgirl. And Whedon had done... Age of Ultron and the first Avengers and made a shit ton of money. So they're like, Joss, why don't you do some rewrites on this? And Snyder was like, yes, that's great. Then Snyder found out Whedon was directing some of the reshoots while Snyder was still on the film. So this was one of the fights. And when he'd say that doesn't go with the film, the studio always sided with Whedon. So yeah, he walked out. But when he walked out, he took his laptop that had a copy of the movie. No effects, no score, and what I don't understand, I guess I just don't understand the digital movie-making process, it was black and white? I mean, you wouldn't, it probably wasn't color-graded, but yeah, they didn't shoot it in black and white, that's weird. (laughs) Yeah, but he kept it as a souvenir, thinking, I'll take it home, I'll assemble it, and then I can show it to friends as what I wanted the movie to be. Warner Brothers put out in the press release a lie that Whedon was handpicked by Snyder to complete his vision, and... From what I've read, Whedon reshot 75% of that film, including, of course, the infamous mustache that Paramount wouldn't let Henry Cavill shave off from the Mission Impossible film. But the cast was loyal to Snyder. God knows Ray Fisher is loyal to Snyder. Ray Fisher is cyborg. Yeah. So he hasn't complained about Snyder's treatment towards him, just Whedon. Everything I've read is that Snyder is an incredibly nice guy. You may like his movies, you may not, but he is apparently just a lovely man to talk to and work with. And that can go very far. I mean, there have been a lot of people that I'm like, how do they keep working? And that's exactly right. They don't bring drama to the set. One of the Warner Brothers execs said, yes, Whedon was walking into a hostile work environment because the cast wasn't happy that the movie they'd signed on to make was being changed. How Whedon chose to handle that environment was Whedon's choice. I guess Whedon met combat with combat. Ray Fisher has claimed an abusive, toxic set. Gal Gadot has gone on record saying she had one problem with Whedon one time, and then she talked to management, and she had no more problems with Whedon. So she went over Whedon's head, and Whedon had a talking to. And Warner Brothers has said remedial action was taken against Whedon, but they'll never say what. Warner Brothers realized they screwed up, because they were shown Whedon's cut, And they're sitting there like every single person in the room knew that was a bad movie. They knew the robber on the rooftop scene was too silly. They knew they hadn't fixed it, but nobody wanted to admit. This is a direct quote from a studio executive who requested anonymity. Nobody wanted to admit what a piece of shit it was. So Warner Brothers released it. Like, when did, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but when did the cult of the Snyder Cut start, like, when did the devotees start chanting, release the Snyder Cut? Because, yeah, all this came out, like, but we knew we were getting the Snyder Cut. Like, we get the backlash now against Whedon, but where did the rumbling start to release this cut? And why didn't they make Sucker Punch a hit? Why aren't all Zack Snyder's films considered classics? Well, that weekend. Everybody was like, this is not Snyder's film. The very weekend of release, the Snyder Cut cult began. 
and it never let up. I kind of thought it was right there with the episode 8 is going to be remade before we do episode 9 and fire Kathleen Kennedy. Yeah, the alt-right Last Jedi cut that we'll get with muscular, oiled Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker returning heroically. I still want that cut. So do I, actually. Give me alt-right Last Jedi, please. I want to see them CGI Mark Hamill's face onto, like, Kevin Sorbo's body with oil and everything. So, years go by, and they don't let up, and let's face it, Zack Snyder fed the trolls, because every so often he'd go on Twitter and post, like, a frame of film that we didn't see, or, like, a couple seconds of him filming his laptop screen, showing things we didn't see. He's pulling a Ryan Reynolds with Deadpool. He did. He really did. And, you know what? I'm not for the Snyder Cut people, because they got really abusive, and really mean, and really cultish. Well, that's the internet, right? But I was one of the release the Deadpool movie people, you know, give Ryan Reynolds his Deadpool movie for Fox. I do feel like this is different. Like, we're in a golden age of being a fanboy, I guess, with Twitter and the internet. Like, you don't like how Sonic looks? Okay, we'll back down. We'll redo Sonic. You don't like our Justice League movie? Okay, we'll do a new one. Like, the fanboy's got the power now. I think it's always been the case. It just, those used to be test screenings. We used to give more power to anonymous people in Pasadena who had a free afternoon and went and <laughs> saw a blockbuster movie five months before it was supposed to come out, and then they would say, no, don't do that. Well, they never let up, and Warner was getting really frustrated because their social media was just being slammed. One of the executives said that HBO Max would tweet something about Sesame Street, and all the responses would be, fuck Elmo, release the Snyder Cut. I had no idea, really. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, it would pop up every once in a while. It'd get trending. I'm like, well, these people are just crazy. Like, th- this is never going to happen. Why invest energy in this? Look, I'm wrong. You guys were right. It did happen. I'll just point out, there has been gold in director's cuts. There have been films, namely Blade Runner is the one that I go to, where its entire reputation is resuscitated and reevaluated because we got to see what the original director wanted to put out there. Warner Brothers opened the door themselves with the Donner cut of Superman 2. It had not been unprecedented. No, it's happened, but it's very rare. And I don't think it's ever happened. Again, you mentioned Blade Runner, which was kind of a flop when it came out. It didn't become a hit till much later on. Well, with the director's cut. I I mean, I think they're looking for a similar success story here. Like, if everyone thought Justice League was so horrible, and by the way, I recommended it. (laughs) I'm just going to put it out there. I don't think you guys hated it, but you you did not recommend it. I didn't. No, no. I went back and listened. I was on the fence and there was a very specific thing that made me go to a mild or weak not recommend. But as just a, yeah, an action film, it kind of worked. And just to remind listeners where I was, Batman v Superman, while a flawed film, actually made me a DC fan. I started buying DC toys, DC statues, DC autographs. Justice League. It made you put them all on eBay? Well, at least I made money when I sold them all. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing to remember, too, is Wonder Woman had come out. Aquaman had not, but Wonder Woman was out there, and they were suddenly feeling like, wow, we, we don't need to hang everything on Zack Snyder's Superman. Although Snyder produced and heavily influenced that film. Hmm. It doesn't feel like it, but okay. It's got some of his aesthetic in it. So, finally, in 2019, Toby Emmerich, chairman of Warner Brothers, called Snyder. 
And like, can we just have your footage and put it out as is, as a bonus feature to shut these people up so we can start promoting other things again (laughs) and our social media isn't ruined? And now Snyder had the power. He said, absolutely not. I'm not going to have you put this out there and then say, see, we were right to have Whedon do it. It didn't have music. It didn't have effects. So he said no. And then he went in and met with, like, the board of Warner Brothers and said, my cut of this movie has the most social media activity for any movie Warner Brothers has ever done, and it's a movie you've never released. It has the most tweets, the most social noise in the history of Warner Brothers for a film you didn't release and have no intention to release. And it worked. He got $70 million to finish this film. What? He took no additional salary. He'd already been paid to direct. And he said that by not taking a salary, it gave him the power. He was able to do what he wanted. He was again given pretty much free creative control in exchange for not taking any more money. And what year was this? Because look, 2020 was 10 years long. So I feel like, oh, this was a pandemic situation where, hey, we could have people sit at home on their computers fixing the effects and get this out without having to do a whole lot of reshoots. Or was this already in motion before that? It was in motion. It was in November 2019 that Warner Brothers and... Snyder had the conversation and Snyder was waiting for Comic-Con 2020. He's like, I want to walk out on that stage and I want to hear the crowd erupt when I show them the first little bit of footage and trailer for my cut of this movie and, you know, have that energy. And since that didn't happen, he ended up just doing a live watch of Man of Steel. And at the end, Henry Cavill showed up and they were like, and the Snyder cut's coming. The key was he was not allowed to do any reshoots. He had to work with the material he had, and he could do effects, he could do music, he could finish the film, but no reshoots. So there's no reshoots here? There is a reshoot here. Okay, because there are a few scenes where I'm like, that's weird how they're like bumping into each other. I felt like you you could do a a recut of that, but maybe they didn't have an additional scene. They didn't get a reshoot of that scene, So, but they did have some. There's one scene in the movie that is brand new, is what it is, but they didn't reshoot anything. The end of the movie, the nightmare scene at the end of the movie, where the Joker is there, was the newly filmed footage. Okay. And where were they on Aquaman? Because I was surprised that Willem Dafoe was in here, too. I thought that might be a way... Yeah, was that original footage? All original. They were leading into Aquaman with this. Dafoe was in Aquaman. Yeah, I did watch the 2017 cut, and then I watched this new one, and then I went back for certain scenes of the 2017, because I did not remember Willem Dafoe. No, he's definitely not in it. Like, I did this movie a solid... When I watched this film... I didn't remember much about Justice League besides a Russian family cowering underneath the table <laughs> yeah. and a pretty great action scene at the memorial where Superman's alive, but he's kicking ass. And that was all that I really could tell you what happened in the movie three years later. I wanted to see Snyder's cut first, and then last night I did watch the Whedon cut. Yeah, but they were building into the Aquaman film. More Amber Heard, Willem Dafoe, more discussion of him and the Atlantans. See, I couldn't remember how soon Aquaman was coming after this film. I know that part of the struggle of this entire 
Enterprise is that there were too many cooks and I didn't know if they knew what they were doing with Aquaman and if Willem Dafoe was even cast in the movie yet. But you're saying they were already rolling on that film. Justice League came out in late 2017. Aquaman came out in late 2018. Okay. They probably weren't rolling, but they were well into production. They'd done the casting. They had everyone's contracts locked down. They obviously knew that they wanted Willem Dafoe. That helps explain some of the scenes that are surprisingly came out of nowhere for me when I watched the Snyder Cut. And so, yeah, Snyder, he never watched the Whedon Cut. Oh, no, I, I read the article where Christopher Nolan apparently watched it, and he's like, we must never let Zack Snyder see this film. It will destroy him. Like, it, there was a whole lot of pretension that I was reacting to with this Snyder cut. Well, Nolan is a pretentious motherfucker, but oh, that I is know. true. It is true that Zack Snyder's second wife is his production partner. So Deborah Snyder was a producer on this film. Nolan was a producer on this film. They both watched it and they both said, Zack, don't watch this film. Yeah, and I do think that's maybe part of why we've suddenly heard all these terrible stories about Whedon and why it was so difficult to finish the film originally is they're setting the stage for we're fixing what you might not have liked from that 2017 movie. Long before the Snyder Cut was greenlit, Ray Fisher had lawyers. Really? It feels like this all came out once the Snyder Cut got announced. No, Ray Fisher thing has been going on for over a year. Well, it may be going on, but does the public know that? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of lawsuits that people have no idea are going on on popular films. Maybe I'm more plugged in, but I've read every story about every Ray Fisher tweet, every investigation, how he's calling out John Berg, Jeff Johns, Joss Whedon how Warner Brothers, he thinks, is covering up the investigation. This has been going on for a long time. Didn't help me understand what is he alleging happened. Yeah, because it seems like everything I read was that Joss Whedon yelled at him. Right. But, like, was he yelling racial slurs at him? Like, he make, he's making it sound really bad. He says that because it's, an, in his mind, an ongoing investigation, he can't go into details, but it was an unprofessional, abusive, and toxic atmosphere on set. Okay, whatever that means. You're right. We can't know those details yet. But I imagine if this becomes a hit and Zack Snyder is allowed to continue on carrying on the DCU, then I imagine those stories will be allowed to come to light. Maybe, but they're already working on the Ezra Miller Flash film without Snyder. And they told Ray Fisher, yeah, you were going to be a part of it. You're not anymore. So Ooh, there might be a backlash after this film. Cyborg is going to be real important all of a sudden. If this film's even in continuity, you know? Yeah, who knows? I don't know what this is, if it's a DVD extra or an actual movie. Well, that's what I mean. Is like, I think people think of Blade Runner now as the director's cut. And, uh, you know, I know there's even been some final cut that came beyond it. But I think that 92 cut became the official version that where people really discovered the film. But there was no franchise for that to fit into at the time. Is that going to happen for Justice League? Are we going to say never again? I mean, I guess that starts here. I guess that's why we decided this movie was worth covering in a podcast. We don't normally, every time a new cut comes out, do an additional podcast. And we're not going to every time they add a few scenes for a Blu-ray. But I have to thank some of our listeners who did remind us this is not unprecedented. Exorcist 4 and Exorcist 5 is probably a very similar situation. Mm -hmm. Where the studio saw Exorcist 4, said this is not releasable, we're not going to do it. With the same cast but a different director, refilmed a different script 
and released that, but then contractually had to release the other Exorcist film on home video. That was my expectation. When I sat down to this, knowing it was twice the length of the original cut, I expected to see an entirely different movie. And in fact, because I couldn't remember the original movie, I expected (laughs) to see something I'd never seen before. Yeah, I thought we were going to get a whole new plot. And the funny thing is, once I got into this thing, a lot of it felt very familiar. The beats are there. Whedon didn't change the structure, and he didn't change the story a lot. He just added a Russian family. He added a Russian family and cut out a lot because Warner Brothers had that two-hour mandate. But say what you will about this, HBO Max saw a way that they could increase profits by feeding the Snyder Cut. Come, sign up for our new streaming service. You know, if everybody who cried out for this gave HBO Max $10, there's a lot more than $70 million they're going to make. And Jacob, I think you made an excellent point and saying this is the year to do it right like there have been some times when like whatever's going on in the streaming service who cares the real stuff is happening at the movie theater well no everyone is watching streaming services and this is my guess going to be a well-viewed director's cut hbo max is a young service with under 40 million subscribers compare that to disney plus with 100 million or netflix with 200 million you're not going to get a huge amount of eyeballs on this comparatively it won't be bright you mean yes it won't be cloverfield three the cloverfield paradox (laughs) so sad what is their big like what is a netflix movie that changed culture that is so big i feel like netflix series do it Mm. but not netflix movies hey they've had some oscar nominations yes that's true the irishman and Roma. Yeah, I guess I was talking about a movie that like m- that had as big an impact as something that played in IMAX. Let me just say this, though. Yeah, HBO has 37, 38 million subscribers. If you're an AT&T customer, you get HBO Max for free. So that doesn't mean you're actually watching it. As of the end of last September, only 8.6 million had actually activated their account, even though 40 million had the ability to do so. Right. So, will this have an impact? Is, I guess, the lingering question. Will these efforts be just about placating the internet? It's got the cult following to make it a thing. Again, I think if this becomes a success, even with those limited subscriber numbers with HBO Max, it's going to be these hardcore fans for this film that push it. Yeah. And Disney's kind of clapping back the same weekend as Snyder Cut comes out, Falcon and Winter Soldier starts on Disney+. Plus. Oh, well, so is Peacock, who said, hey, you get a week free of The Office. Come look at us. You guys love The Office. They're so sad. Although Paramount Network feels the most sad to me. Like, not everyone's going to make it. We all know that. But will HBO Max get a boost specifically from this? We'll see. I kind of hope so, because whatever I think of this film, whatever all of us think of this film, some of the profits are going to suicide prevention programs. And whatever I think about the Snyder Cabal, they also have raised a lot of money for suicide prevention programs as part of their activism. That's awesome. I, I Again, I'm very critical of the Snyder cult, but I will, yeah, th- that is great that they've done that. Absolutely. So there is some positivity. I don't know that it's wise to feed the trolls. I once fed a pigeon and that pigeon accosted me after that. I was scraped up because I made the mistake of being nice to this pigeon. So I don't know if this is going to make the Star Wars fans even worse. That's what I'm saying. Sonic gave into the demands of fans. DC has given into the demands. 
Is Star Wars next? Is Marvel? Who will cave next? Well, I do think that comic book fans, if that's what we're calling them, or trolls, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> the, the hardcore people that are invested in this property beyond what's done in a movie, they remain the primary audience. Everyone else will go along with whatever we do. They'll be <laughs> fine with it. But you got to please the nerd. Or it poisons it. Like, I think that's the reputation. Again, I think probably many people look back on Justice League and go, eh, it was fine. I mean, like, I just don't feel like it was this burning carcass of a failure. No, it wasn't the disaster that we expected. I've never heard it referred to in the same breath as Ishtar. Right. It's not Ishtar and it's not Avengers. So resuscitating its reputation has a large amount to do with pleasing this cult. And are they going to like this cut now that it's finally here? My curiosity also is sometimes getting what you want can be a curse. But what one of the articles I read pointed out is it's worse for knowing it's out there. It's worse for knowing that this could be delivered and it's being withheld. So that not knowing really as much as Zack Snyder and even Affleck and Gadot got in on it and started tweeting release the Snyder cut. Yeah, there is something brave by Warner Brothers doing this because it, it could be like you're putting it all out on the table. We're being fair and balanced. Here's one version. Here's the other. You guys decide. Did we make a mistake by doing that two hour cut? Like, again, it, it could have rippling effects. Well, let's see. Arnie, give them the plot and we will be the judge and see if justice has been served. Well, I was going to cut and paste from my last plot summary, <laughs> but I did have to change two words. Oh, just two. Uh -oh. <laughs> two. Can't wait till I, I hear which two they are. I hope one of the words is Martian. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I didn't even add him to the plot summary. I figured we'll talk about him. He's not in the plot. He just shows up. I'll tell you, he does. Like a <laughs> hammer to the face. Superman is dead, and without him, the world has plunged into depression. Most of all, Lois Lane, played by Amy Adams, can't bear to return to work as a reporter. There's a few words changed there. She was doing fluff pieces in Whedon's cut. And Martha Kent, Superman's mom, has lost her house to foreclosure. Worst of all, Superman's death has brought about an opportunity for alien invasion. The alien conqueror Darkseid tried to invade and destroy her thousands of years ago, but the Amazons, Atlanteans, the Green Lanterns, and even the Greek gods team up to repel him. Slight change? The last movie that was Steppenwolf. I changed it to Darkseid. <laughs> but now with the world divided and Superman dead, Darkseid's minion Steppenwolf has returned. Had to add Darkseid's minion to that sentence. <laughs> he must gather the three mother boxes, one from the Amazons, one from the Atlantans, and one hidden by humans, and then he will destroy the planet. When the Amazons lose their box, they call to Wonder Woman Diana Prince, played by Gal Gadot, and she in turn goes to the Batman Bruce Wayne, played by Ben Affleck. They also recruit the Aquaman Arthur Curry, an Atlantan prince who acts like a biker, played by Jason Momoa. He's very strong and might be able to talk to fish. They also recruit Barry Allen, played by Ezra Miller, a young man who can move very fast. And they finally get Victor Stone, played by Ray Fisher. Victor was nearly killed in a car accident. Last movie, it was an explosion. But his father was a scientist working on the Kryptonian mothership and used one of Steppenwolf's mother boxes to bring his son back to life. But now he's more machine than man. Together, they realize they need Superman, so they use a mother box to bring the dead Kryptonian hero, played by Henry Cavill, back to life. And thank goodness they did, because, although pissed at first, he comes around and helps the heroes defeat Steppenwolf. That threat repelled, they decide to stay together as a team, 
but we get a but we get a scene of Lex Luthor played by Jesse Eisenberg and Deathstroke played by Joe Manganiello who decide to try to kill Batman and then an extra scene in the dystopian future where Batman, the Flash, Cyborg, Deathstroke team up with the Joker to try to take down an evil Superman as credits roll. And as we start, I think the change that I most note, the aspect ratio. This movie is square. I pulled out my console TV for this one. I learned a new term, pillar boxed. Mm. I'd never heard that before, but the opposite of letterboxing, pillar boxing. Yeah, I've noticed this, like, if I watch an old episode of The Simpsons on my TV, they got the, the black bars on the sides now instead of the top and bottom. When I worked in television, we called this postage stamp. There's false information going around that this film was shot with IMAX cameras in a 4 to 3 ratio. Because if you go to see an IMAX, they had to crop it. They had to pan and scan it because IMAX screens in those large museums are square. And now when they started putting out the Fomax screens, they made them more rectangular, but they're hugely tall, which is why when you get those few scenes that are filmed in IMAX, like in Transformers 3, your aspect ratio changes. Or The Dark Knight. Let's let's cite a good one. <laughs> okay. I couldn't remember if The Dark Knight was fully filmed in IMAX. I knew Transformers was partially. Yeah, it's just certain scenes. And when you watch it on TV, sometimes it's letterbox, sometimes it's full screen And for those IMAX scenes where it takes up your whole television. Exactly. Well, Snyder said that he wanted this to be in IMAX format. Now, Warner Brothers has confirmed this is not playing on a single IMAX screen anywhere in the country currently, okay. nor are there plans immediately to put it on IMAX screens, but Snyder wanted to use that. This is a change, though. When he filmed this, his cinematographer said, yeah, Snyder told me to crop this at 185 to 1. So he was going for a more widescreen view, but when he came back, his statement is, these are titans that should tower over you. Superheroes aren't horizontal except when Superman flies. When these people stand, they should take up the most of the screen. Yeah, I will say, and, and maybe it was a change in the CGI, but like when we go back to that fight with Darkseid in ancient times, like you see Zeus and they are towering above like men. And that's something I did not notice with the original cut that I did notice here, maybe because we have that taller picture. Yeah, but what they did was... I mean, most movies are shot full frame. If you own a full frame camera, you know you're not shooting in this very wide but short ratio. They film full frame with the intent of just cropping off what's at the top and bottom. When this was filmed, they did leave the full frame open. So all they did was use the whole thing they filmed, making it taller. It's not like they cut off the sides to make it narrow. It is in color, though. They decided not to do black and white. And there is new score. Junkie XL had worked on Batman v Superman. He's going to pull a lot from Hans Zimmer and the scores of the other movie. But yeah, I do feel like just setting up things up here at the beginning. You won't ever mistake that you're, which cut am I watching? You will know. Yeah, this does not open up with cell phone footage of weird-lipped Superman talking about how he loves Lois. <laughs> no, the, the other thing that's established is tone. A tone of lingering dread and mournful sorrow. Let's just linger on the fact that Superman died, and the second that he screamed that death scream, it set off the box. I'm going to say right now, there are many, many times when the score drew attention to itself. 
I'm an Elfman fanboy who would buy scores to movies I've never seen if Elfman did the music in the 80s and 90s. I feel he's kind of played out. He's a little bit more generic these days, but I like Junkie XL score a lot more than anything Elfman did for the Justice League. It definitely stands out more to me, this one. Yeah, and this moment does stand out. I do think that, yeah, maybe we were supposed to think that beginning was a little bit sad to see kids interview Superman, but this is much more respectful in showing him screaming in death. And again, I now understand, oh, his death really did make the mother boxes start to wake up. Yeah, it's, it's something they gave lip service to, but here they kind of visualize it, like he said, with that, I don't know, sound wave from his yell going out. We see Cyborg first off the bat. He's got it in his closet. Lex Luthor. This one's confusing to me because Lex Luthor is in the Superman ship. And is that Steppenwolf? That's when he built Doomsday from the corpse of General Zod and all of that in the Kryptonian ship in Batman v Superman. Yeah, I I was a little confused too, Stuart. But there's a monster holding three boxes. Yeah, and we do know that Lex, at the end of Batman v Superman, that he had seen something and he's predicting Darkseid coming. So I think this is that scene? It's all three boxes. I think he is learning the history of the boxes from some kind of creature that kind of looks like Steppenwolf. I wrote down Steppenwolf. Maybe I just assumed that's who it was because I knew he was the villain. But they're holograms because we'll find out later that the mother box that was given to the humans is elsewhere. And then we cut to Atlantis. There's Mira. Not happy to see her again. (laughs) Paradise Island and the Amazonians get a lot more build up to the idea that their box is going to be the first to crack. But then we get, I I gotta ask, Arnie, because you stated with the... 2017 Justice League that there was the mandate this cannot be a minute over two hours like cut 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 did this one like was look I know it's called Snyder's cut it does feel like was there a mandate to make this at least four hours because so much of just Bruce Wayne walking around with a horse in Iceland like there are scenes that just feel like like there's a four second scene I timed it of just Alfred pouring tea I don't know why we need four seconds of him pouring tea it wasn't drugged it it plays no part in the plot but it, it feels at times like scenes just go on a little too long and I'm like did they had to hit that four hour mark was that a mandate as well no but I do think that calling this the Snyder cut is a misnomer because I don't think Snyder cut a damn thing (laughs) no he did not this feels like an assembly (laughs) cut to me this feels like when you take all the footage you have and take it into the editing bay and then say okay now let's shape a movie out of what we shot (laughs) yeah this is the assembly cut right I don't disagree with you, but I will just also point out that we heard mixed messaging as this movie was being promoted. It was going to be a TV miniseries at one point. Yeah, four parts I heard at one point. I thought it was five. So I really think that we can see it here. We now have chapter heads. Yes. There are six individual segments. Maybe the thought is there were going to be six individual hour-long episodes. And I think they've realized at some point We really are pushing it with the audience if we draw it out too long. It just didn't sustain a six-hour cut, so we end up with this four-hour movie. Can I just say, though, after reviewing WandaVision last week and seeing how impatient I and Marvel fans were with the first few weeks of television, could you imagine DC fans or even just casuals, if you watched the first section of this where a bunch of, what, Norwegians sing? Icelanders, yeah. There's a very long scene of Icelandic women singing and sniffing Aquaman's musk from his sweater. I, You know, I'm a big fan of Bjork. I like Icelandic music. 
I think this sets the tone. The thing about Iceland, if you talk to people in Scandinavia, is like, yeah, even we don't know what the hell they're saying. They're so remote that it's like going and hearing medieval English, like old English. Like, imagine going to a country and, like, they're speaking English, but you can't understand it. This music, not only does it set the tone for grief and and sorrow and length, but it also kind of gives... This whole production sort of a Lord of the Rings medieval fantasy vibe. Yeah, mythological races teaming up with men to defeat evil? Yeah, it's a Lord of the Rings movie all of a sudden, and I did not get that from the Whedon cut. Yeah, it goes back to what Snyder always said his vision is, is that Marvel's superheroes were people with problems who got powers, whereas DC superheroes were a modern mythology about gods among men. And so, yeah, I agree, this carries it on, but I didn't need to see that woman sniffing Aquaman's sweater. I just really didn't. (laughs) I'm going to argue, I think, that if you look at these two scenes from the two different cuts, one is... A really cutesy and they play up the joke about you dress up as a bat in that shithole Gotham I would rather have this mournful tone I would rather have this disquieting brooding feel it serves the movie better when they do this even though it may drag out and feel we might get a little impatient it's better to have this tone I feel like this is what Snyder wants to do and it's fine. I, I am viewing this as like a WandaVision as a miniseries because as a film, there's just too much extra stuff in here that you would cut because it, it's not directly related to the story. But yeah, they want to use this stuff to set up tone. But there's times when Snyder goes too far. Like next when we focus on Superman's death and they have this song come in, they told us our gods would outlive us. And I'm like, this is just too on the nose. I always bring this up, but it's just something that bothers me. Like I get it. This is Snyder. Like there is a weird sincerity to him where like I think think he really does feel this way like like yes this is mournful and somber and, and serious and, and to me i'm kind of rolling my eyes but i do think he's staying true to his vision by doing this this movie's too long yeah but these early scenes which could be cut of martha martha one being <laughs> martha at, kent yeah let's be clear <laughs> being at the graveyard of her son and having to move out of her house that was foreclosed And then Lois doing a daily ritual of going to visit the memorial to Superman and bringing a guy a coffee does set a tone that the world is depressed much better than Whedon's opening playing Leonard Cohen music and showing grocery stores getting robbed. Leonard Cohen and Nick Cave are about the same thing in my mind. (laughs) But yeah, there was, they, they gave the everybody knows to a female singer and it just, yes, it felt more glib in its presentation of sorrow. It, it was more of a montage saying, now that Superman is dead, everyone is acting evil and we quickly go into that Wonder Woman, you know, introductory fight scene. And here is where I do have complaints. Like, there are things where we were confused with the 2017 cut. Some of those things are getting explained. But I think we we question, like, who are these guys? Like, what what is their goal? They're going to blow up four square blocks of London. Like, there's no further explanation. They are just terrorists that just show up and Wonder Woman comes out to stop them. 
You've rewatched the 2017 cut recently, Stuart. I rewatched it for Wonder Woman 84. I didn't rewatch it for here. Was Wonder Woman this badass in that one? Does she go and kill people and, like, have super speed? I'm like, she's as fast as the Flash, as strong as Superman. Why do we need a Justice League? This woman can do it all. <laughs> she does have the super speed, but no, they do change a few things. Like, they kind of pretend when she jumps out through the roof to get rid of the bomb, like, she is hit by the explosion and the Whedon cut. But she just throws the bomb in the air. And then, she, yeah, she just straight up murders a dude. Like, she, like, blows him out the side of a building with a lot of rubble with people down below, like cops, like, probably got hurt. Like, this is the stuff about Snyder that annoys me is these superheroes are often pretty reckless because he wants them to be badass. I think the longer cut, this version, gives a little bit more lip service. She grabs one of the goons and wants to know what's going on and who they are. And they just, we find out that they're just a symptom of what's wrong in general. They just want modern society down, back with the Dark Ages. That's going to sound a lot like what Steppenwolf and Darkseid will say later, that there was some kind of Dark Age we need to return to. But they aren't connected to that. It's just that everyone is being impelled, really, in the absence of the light that superman brought everyone is now feeling it's time to start trying to bring about the end of mankind and civilization and that's our big action scene if you had spread this out over weeks would wonder woman fighting these plotless villains be enough superhero to bring you back for part two i'm not sure but then we do have also another action scene on themiscura because steppenwolf has a sky beam that can teleport him anywhere. It's called a boom tube. A boom tube? I actually think sky beam sounds cool. Or a boom no, boom tube. tubes are awesome. I love boom tubes. <laughs> can I get a hit off that boom tube? I need to get a little mellow. Uh, you're, you're not far off. We're going to get into a lot of New God stuff, which I love. So, yeah, boom <laughs> tubes, great. Can we just say that a definite improvement of this cut is... Steppenwolf. Like, when he shows up in this one in his gold armor, he looks absolutely badass. It shames the original. It looks unfinished now. You can go back and look at that Whedon one and go, oh, they just didn't have time. I knew that then. It looked like I was playing God of War. Yeah, here it looks like they put on... Who was that villain that Thor fought in New Mexico, that iron robot? The that, Destroyer. Yeah, the Destroyer. It looks like he's got armor made from the Destroyer. And I do think they improve his character. I wasn't, like, blown away by this redesign. He's still a CGI-looking guy. But the scene is great. I mean, it was pretty good last time, but they've added back the Zack Snyder filters. That's definitely one thing. Same cinematographer in both, obviously. But it, you can just see that Snyder loves to tint the sky and going all the way back to 300 he definitely takes charge of an image in the color scheme and i feel like watching this battle of the amazonians playing keep away with the mother box from this well redesigned steppenwolf it just has a power that it didn't have no it's more exciting and violent too like i mean well of course it's snyder's vision now we're going to have hands severed and... Is this R-rated? This is R-rated. They get two fucks in. Yeah, I definitely heard the language change, but I feel like the violence here uh, is a little bit more impactful as when well. When he throws one of the Amazons against a rock and she slides down, leaving a bloody mess behind her, I'm like, yeah, that might be R. Mm -hmm. Yeah, late, later on when we see Green Lantern get taken down, it's because Darkseid cuts his hand off and in the original cut... 
Steppenwolf kind of just like takes him out. Like there's no limbs being severed. So definitely, uh, again, though, I, I was expecting the worst because of, of Snyder's rhetoric, like on Twitter and the interviews. This is for adults. You just, this is not your kids, Justice League. And so I was going just fearing the worst, like just murder all over the place. So, but perhaps because I had so low expectations, I, I'm pleasantly surprised. Like th- this is pretty cartoon violence. But I'll also say this movie could probably be two hours, 45 minutes to three hours. Easily. If they stopped with all the damn slow motion. Zack Snyder does the tinting, but Zack Snyder loves to go in slow motion. (laughs) This is what was praised in 300 was his style, and I do hope we get to do that. I would love to revisit that film someday. But there's things that are elongated, like you have this urgency. We got to get the mother box out of, away from Steppenwolf. So the queen grabs the box instead of just running out she's gonna like run up the wall and do a backflip so she could stab a parademon and like just getting out of this hall like takes a very long time i agree like once we get out of there and we get horses or cgi horses at least getting killed and throwing around like that's fun but i wanted more editing i will stand alone and say i like the slow build up i think that waiting to see what's coming out of that box partly because i couldn't remember i <laughs> forgot about the bugs I, i'm not talking about the build up i'm just talking about when we get to the action i just there's a lot of needless action going I'm not the one to usually want to linger on long action scenes, but I actually think this action scene's pretty great. How many more shots of Amazon swinging sledgehammers to knock down wood pillars so stone walls could fall down did you need? This amount. This is what I wanted. This was a good scene. And I'm not saying this scene is overwrought at all. I like this scene. Well done. This looks good. It looks epic. When you have all those Amazonians rushing at Steppenwolf, and so he boom tubes the hell out of there, I'm like, this looks good. It looks like it provides a good villain who's not super powered enough to take down every Amazonian on the island, but also bad enough that he could take down the queen and get away with that first box Pretty easily, pretty quickly. And even though I think that they fixed Steppenwolf and he looks totally badass and enough to carry this film, they also, once we get to part two, the Age of Heroes, are going to give a whole lot of floor space to Darkseid, which, again, you guys have explained to me in the past, he's kind of like the DC version of Thanos. Uh, no, he's the originator. Thanos was stolen from him. Okay, all right, fair enough. But they're going to try to do that here, and that probably seems wise. I mean, I definitely feel like we right from the get-go when he's building the base in, in Chernobyl or whatever, he's... Russian family noticeably absent during yes. the scene. <laughs> Steppenwolf is just like, he will be pleased. Uh, th- this is a character that's on the outs with somebody who's fearsome. And you're starting to think, oh, this is Darth Vader and who's the Emperor? It, A, gives Steppenwolf motivation. I always like a motivated bad guy. Yes. But second, I'm like, Darkseid, no. This guy's Desaad. All of these letters are quiet. Desaad. Desaad. Oh, Desaad's another character. I thought that's how he was pronouncing Darkseid. No, no, no. In... Arnie, I know you're more tuned into what's coming out. Like, I know there's been rumors of a New Gods movie for the DC Universe. Ava DuVernay, I think, is responsible for it. 
Yeah, and it is one of my, like, one of the, uh, probably the best. I mean, look, Jack Kirby had a lot of great creations he, that he did for Marvel Fantastic Four, but my favorite is the new gods, that just something he totally came up with, this idea of sci-fi gods for our new age. The old gods have died. No Jesus, no Zeus, they're gone. Now we have these weird space gods in this intergalactic civil war that we're caught in between. Like, I love the concept. So when he started showing Darkseid in those trailers, I'm like, yeah, that's going to be like three seconds of a dream sequence. But I I'm getting excited that there's new gods mythology. I'm not a Snyder cultist, but I do love the new gods. So like listeners, if you love the new gods, like there is stuff to get excited about here. Like that mythology is brought in more. Obviously this movie indicates that they were wanting to go in this direction. I do think though, you know, I'm wondering if Zack Snyder added things. There's a line said by Steppenwolf when he gets to the nuclear reactor. It's toxic. That's good. I'm like, like Snyder's fans. <laughs> <laughs> And so we get this scene that explains that Darkseid has been here before, but he doesn't remember that he has. You guys are the comic book people, so I'm going to turn to you with my confusions as to what he was hoping to do back on Earth. What they tell us in this movie, and it's different than the comics. Again, again, Darkseid's always trying to take over the Earth, and because it's got all these metahumans just drawn to to want to take it over. Here, Darkseid's ultimate goal. Anti-life equation. We're going to hear about all a lot about the anti-life equation in this. I heard words like that, and I didn't know yes. what they meant. Okay. So basically, it's been depicted in different ways in the comics. Sometimes it's a series of like mantras or words, or sometimes it's a weird like calculus <laughs> equation. The, the Final Crisis, one of my favorite crossovers, it gets released onto the internet. And basically, once you are exposed to the anti-life equation, is you turn into just this conformist zombie you'll go along with that whatever dark side wants you know it takes away your free will basically so i think here when we get to this flashback when dark side came to earth and he, he smashes the earth and you see like this weird pattern of lava or something you got the omega symbol in there i think they're telling us that is the anti-life equation and he just forgot that he put it on earth what i took this as i'm putting this together i'm not a dc guy so i may be wrong but Darkseid has been conquering worlds across the galaxy. Yes. The only world he has lost is mm -hmm. Earth. I heard that for sure. Yeah, we see that in this scene. He will end up retreating into his ship, bleeding from the shoulder, when Mongols and Atlantans and everybody gangs up on him. And Green Lanterns, but no Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Just one Green Lantern. I just saw one. Yeah. But then... When Steppenwolf comes here and starts getting the mother boxes, he has a weird vision of a pattern in the Earth, and he contacts Desaad and is like, this is where the anti-life equation is, and Darkseid's like, I've searched 50,000 worlds, and Earth is the one that had it, the one planet I couldn't conquer. Yeah, he, again, it's always been nebulous, what is the anti-life equation? I've never seen it as, you know, some kind of etching into the Earth's surface, but... I I think that's what they're telling us. And here. is this the thing on the ground that was also in the dream sequence in Batman v Superman? Because I remember at some point when we had that post-apocalyptic moment, there was the sign for Dark Side like on the ground. Yeah, if it had that Omega symbol, I vaguely remember that. It might be this. Again, that Omega symbol is in this lattice of lava that we see in the ground during this flashback scene to this original fight. Okay. So I think Darkseid just didn't know what planet that was that like he lost on and like they finally found it again. He really needs like Marie Kondo or someone to organize <laughs> his life and like keep track <laughs> of your things. Like if you're going to destroy worlds, you really need this anti-life stuff. Does the anti-life equation bring you joy? <laughs> 
Apparently not, because he threw it away on Earth. It does in a kind of a way. You don't know you're a, a mind-controlled zombie, so maybe there's some joy in that. Ignorance is bliss, they say. I just took it as he didn't know it was here. I don't think he ever had the anti-life oh. equation. Well, we see him hit the Earth, though, and that gets formed. I thought that, again, it's just as far as a cool still from this movie, like that scene where he forms all this around him, I thought he knew he made that. I I don't know. It's not very clear it isn't. what the anti-life is doing. Well, we needed a five part epic you know 20 hours of justice league and it would all make sense or you know it's a tease for the part two that we'll never get <laughs> well, that's what i'm saying is five movies of justice league mm. that snyder wanted to make by and large i'm okay with the visual look of this movie but this is one of those scenes where it really feels more like previs than an actual finished shot like some of these people look really cgi video gaming yeah I agree. Yeah, it's this is making me think a lot of 300, which also I thought looked like a video game. There, I thought for sure Gerard Butler was in there, like making <laughs> lightning or something. But that's Who was? Yeah, Zeus. I guess he filmed all this before Infinity War. Maybe the fact that Ares is going to come down with an axe and hit Darkseid in the shoulder, just like Thor does with Thanos in the chest, and you know you should have aimed a little higher. Like we, I know people have compared the original Avengers and this and all the similarities, but it, it's weird to see that these are still in there. I guess just ideas coming up at the same time. And that was David Thewlis, right? They got him back. He was in the opening credits. I'm like, I can't believe you brought the old guy back to be a CGI thing again, and he doesn't even have a line. Why couldn't you just CGI? Why do you have to credit him for being a CGI creature? I I, I liked what he did more here than in that Wonder Woman film. I, I thought he had cooler action here. Yes. I'm not sure Robin Wright came back to do this scene either. I think they have everyone's heads <laughs> in a laptop somewhere and can just press a button. But no, it's an epic battle that shows... I'll spoil it. This is what the climax of the Justice League films was going to be. Ah. Is a final battle where the Atlanteans must team up with the Amazons again after thousands of years not speaking. Lord of the Rings. Zack Snyder envisioned like aircraft carriers and all the military of men, the gods, the lanterns. There were going to be Green Lantern movies in between to build them up. Mm. And all of them were going to team up at the end of the last Justice League movie to fight Darkseid. So what you're seeing here, again, Lord of the Rings-like, is the last time it happened as a foreshadowing of what must happen again at the end of all these movies. And we do not think... We're getting any of that. <laughs> based on the heads of what... Like, the head of DC has been pretty clear that he doesn't want Zack Snyder around anymore. Like, we don't think that we're going to get a Justice League 2 going in that direction. Will we ever get Mad Max Batman? The Snyder Cut is out, so I'm not ever going to say never now. You're right. You're, you're, good point. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if Warner Brothers sees that this was profitable, they, it might bring Snyder back, and they, they, he might be shaping the DCEU again. Yeah. So we get it in this flashback, and then we also kind of get a redundant scene that looks very expensive, so they're going to keep it, where Diana leaves the Louvre to go into some like Greek underground temple and oh my gosh so yeah th when she gets warned of the invasion and before they just shot an arrow and diana saw it on tv but now they're gonna have a whole poem to recite this does feel like lord of the rings where like every weapon has a name and a backstory and we're, we're gonna say a poem before we shoot the arrow but then yeah she goes into a cavern i thought they were going tomb raider she's like got a torch <laughs> she's going down under the thing i'm like is she gonna have to do a lot of jumping to get where she's going <laughs> And she's always wearing white. I'm like, bad choice if you're going into an archaeological dig. You're going to be brown by the end of it. And it's after Labor Day. I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> and 
high heels. Like, is that really what you want to spelunk in? But yeah, she sees, what, a mural of Darkseid and knows something bad's going to happen. Yes. But there's a lot of portent in this part two for what we're going to get in the rest of the movie. There's also a new character. I've mentioned we have Willem Dafoe and they do a little bit with setting up Aquaman. We've more or less seen that stuff before, except like when he's saving the sailor from the sinking ship, it wasn't because a a parademon had been on board. Yeah, just there's no green slime scene again. A a scene where like, wait, what was that telling us? What was the point of that? Totally cut from this. That was their shortcut in the 2017 version. Yeah, Willem Dafoe sets up like, plot points for the upcoming Aquaman movie. And why does Aquaman save this guy from a ship again? If you're really wanting to be judicious, you don't have Aquaman save this guy who was stupid enough to go out in a storm. They use this scene in 2017 to get Aquaman to go back to his realm and, and, you know, get involved in that fight with Steppenwolf. Here, I'm not totally sure why it happens. And again, because they had to compress the storyline, when these parademons exploded, they would leave in their blood, like, the three boxes. Like, they were trying to tell the story with the parademons snooping around for the boxes. Yeah, they totally cut out that opening scene of Batman, you know, using a criminal to lure out a parademon. They didn't cut it out. Nothing was cut out. Okay, they didn't use (laughs) Whedon's footage. Yes. Yeah. Wisely, that is not a good scene. But the other thing that stands out for me in this second segment is that we have... Hanging around Silas Stone, the father of Cyborg, a new character that is getting way too much spotlight for him not to be important. Oh, Ryan Choi! No! I don't know. Are they setting up an Adam movie? Has that been announced? Because that's who Ryan Choi is. The Adam. He's Ant-Man for DC. Okay. And so the fact that he is going to be put as the head of nanotechnology after Silas dies, I'm starting to see how that makes sense. You both are paying attention to a character that just washed over me as... Aid in lab. Oh, when they say Ryan Choi, my ears perked up. And even if I wasn't a DC guy, I would have known, oh, they're they're dropping some Easter egg there. But I know who Ryan Choi is. He's in too many scenes, Arnie. That's the thing. You're right. He's in a lot of scenes, yeah. (laughs) He would be an extra if he didn't have five scenes in this movie. Guess what? There's a lot of scenes in this movie that make no point. I really just thought we needed to cut three of them. I didn't think they were setting up this guy to be somebody else. No, they're definitely setting up the whole of Justice League in this movie and I can kind of appreciate the world building that's going on I I can see that Zack Snyder very much had a lot of pressure to think about all of the franchise in totality and all of the characters that were going to have to come out of his movie and you know what most improved I've mentioned Silas Stone here the cyborg stuff that comes up in chapter 3 has totally rehabilitated my opinion of what seemed like a really stupid character Yeah, but he never says booyah. That's what Cyborg's known for, right? Booyah. Oh my god, you're reminding me of that little cartoon that we saw. Teen Titans! What was that even called? Teen Titans Go to the Movies. (laughs) Yeah, I liked it, but my god, I repressed that I even saw that. I I will say my little one who does love Teen Titans Go, she is not impressed by edgy Cyborg here. He's gonna swear. Yeah, he's relatable and understandable in ways that... It's the casualty. Here's what I imagine. And Arnie, you've kind of told me that not exactly, but I imagine Imagine that the suits were like, oh my God, Zack Snyder has lost his daughter to suicide, and now he's focusing on this father-child storyline where you were never there for me, and I blame you for my mom's death. There are so many storylines about absent fathers. Like, that's the whole epilogue, I think, is absent fathers. It is the theme, but I do feel like in Cyborg's story particularly is the grief of Zack Snyder being a delinquent dad. And I do feel like it's where he 
he gets a chance to address the homo stuff that's going on with him and his real biological family with these characters. Yeah, I mean, this was all written before his daughter died. Eerie. Again, it's coincidence then, but nevertheless, when I'm watching this, I'm thinking about Zack Snyder and his daughter. And they were fighting off her depression, trying to deal with her depression. Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, even though she hadn't taken her own life yet, you know, you're able to relate as a person off on film sets all the time and your daughter's at home, you know, being medicated for depression and seeing therapists. And right. It was in his mind, mm-hmm. and it was there. And I, the reason why it gets gutted from the Whedon cut is it's the opposite of the direction that the studio wanted to go. No more mournfulness. No more sorrow. We want happy superheroes that tell jokes. And so that just meant Cyborg was not going to get his story in that Whedon cut. Yeah, I really like how they reimagine, I guess, or, or or put that original vision of Cyborg back in place, however you want to contextualize it. But there was some lip service given in 2017. Oh, I'm made from the mother box. Maybe they're controlling me. Like, I think we all wanted that expanded upon. You know, mm. is he hearing things in his head? What I do like here, and I again, I've been very critical of how Snyder treats superheroes. I hate the ending of Man of Steel when the most powerful man in the world has to just use his strength to save the day. Like, no, it's always about brains over brawn. So I do like Cyborg is getting advice from his dad. Like the challenge is not doing everything that you can because we see like he is the most powerful. Well, I mean, Superman with strength, but like Cyborg could hack everything. We get this cool visualization. It's like almost feels like you're inside the matrix where he's helping out this poor woman by putting a hundred thousand dollars in her bank account. Like I really like this buildup for Cyborg is like this super powerful person. And can they learn to be responsible with, with those powers like that is core to superhero stores agreed i mean i like that we get to see how he was made i really like the scene we see where he's like dismembered with no hand no legs missing an arm and part of his face and his father is doing the unethical science experiment but he blames his dad because his dad wasn't at the football game one thing nobody in this movie nobody keeps their eyes on the road Okay. <laughs> I noticed that. Yeah. It's like a recurring theme. In this case, Victor's mom was looking at Victor, not watching while she was driving, and gets in a car accident that kills them both. But yeah, in the last one, there was so much ennui about MI being controlled by the mother box. None of that is in here that I caught. Nope, I, I actually made a note. Where is that dilemma? It's all gone. Now he's ashamed of what he's become, but none of that also in the last film was the, I'm losing my emotions, I'm becoming a machine, that's all gone, but now he's like super hacker who can launch nukes, and he can give a poor waitress $100,000, I want to know where the 100000 came from, what account was that taken out of? He, he can manipulate the monetary system, it says, we see the bull and the bear fighting, again, as just stills from a film, there's some great visuals. So he bought some GameStop and made 100000 yes. <laughs> and gave it to this girl. And we now know why he's staring out the window so often, because there are kids in the street playing football, and we will get flashbacks to what he's really grieving is, I used to have this amazing physical body, and now all my organic material is largely gone, and I have this ugly, bulky robot body. And it is kind of ugly, you know? I mean, and not in a bad CGI way, but just, he's not a cool-looking robot. He looks angular and awkward, and when he walks, he just doesn't walk with a good gait, and there's all the clanking of the sound effects of his steps. 
Yeah, was not like thinking of sleekness. Like he would not be good designing an iPhone. It would be bigger <laughs> than a brick, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. But I didn't feel like they were trying to tap in again to Iron Man, trying to go after Marvel. You get this little montage of him learning to fly. And then he does go up there and he puts down an Iron Man mask over his face. Like it does feel very like, again, they know people love Marvel. And I think they do try to tap into that every once in a while. Uh, you're probably right. But I can honestly say I never thought once about Iron man looking at cyborg oh when he's trying to hover like it is straight out of iron man one yeah i i definitely was thinking iron man of course i watch iron man more than you do Mm -hmm. but when he's learning to hover learning to fly goes above the clouds and then needs a mask yeah i agree with you jacob i was thinking iron man but he's not as cool as iron man in the look (laughs) no i agree but he's cooler than iron man in that he can do all this hacking stuff and he's going to later on he can talk to machines the same way aquaman can talk to fish and in fact he could hack even before he had the powers that's the thing is like he was already doing that like at his college he hacked the system to help friends with bad grades and so weirdly enough they show that his mom like supported him in doing that like tells the dean off and so i guess he feels like he lost the person that championed him like this mother was at all the games yeah he he blames his dad for his mom dying and what happened to him if you were there this wouldn't have happened yeah Yeah, she would have looked at the road (laughs) (laughs) or he would have been driving so she wouldn't have had to take her eyes off and yeah do something dangerous i think the subject is i wouldn't have minded you being dead because you're never around (laughs) anyway she was a part of my life she took an interest in me yeah we see that he's listening to this tape that his dad has left him again with that speech the challenge is not doing what you can then he's like but let me speak to you as a father now and that is when he smashes it he does not want to hear that part of from his dad and he buries his mother box i guess it's not in his suit it's not like he's wearing the mother box it's in the closet (laughs) yeah he has it separate from himself he buries it in his mother's grave i found that funny because he meets with wonder woman briefly and he's carrying a giant duffel bag. I'm like, dude, what is with this bag? And it's where the mother box was. Yeah, we, we saw a parademon was floating around outside of his apartment. And so, yeah, he has to go take it somewhere else. This is something else I found interesting that I, I mean, I don't know DC that well, but he goes to bury it in his grave. Uh, the world thinks he's dead. And mm. I never got that from any cartoon or from the last movie, but his mother's grave is there. He's burying it where he is supposedly buried. So he's, you know, not even a person in any system. And he's also not the only one with father issues. We get a different introduction for Barry Allen. He now wants to be a dog walker. Well, he works many jobs. This is just another job. And is late for work. The joke is that he's, you know, like, he should be fast. He should always be on time. He should be early. The joke doesn't just start there. When we see Central City, now I know Central City, that's the flash, and they have that reduced speed ahead sign. Oh, I didn't get that one. But here, he's doing this interview. More people not on the road. There's a trucker eating a burger. (laughs) Yes, drops his burger. You bend over to pick up your burger, you're going to hit something. But also, the girl isn't looking where she's going, because she's really into Barry. But Barry's going to save her life, and we get the first scene. And he he snags a hot dog. I found that interesting. (laughs) 
again, my, my issues with Snyder is we're going to have the super badass moment of the Flash. Like, he's going to break through this small business owner's glass door, cause her damage. Now she's got to repair that. But he's got, he moves so fast, he's got time to brush this woman's hair. A little creepy, a little biting, like, sniffing or, or touching that hair. And he has time to pocket that hot dog. But, like, just open the door then. You had time. You're super fast. And I think it's a trademark, really, at this point of Snyder to use the least likely song the least appropriate for the mood of what you're going for. What seems like a broad comedy moment is made mournful because they're playing this song that I only know from Mulholland Drive, but like is a woman like wailing. And, and again, it feels like a dirge. Like, why is he always trying to deflate the fun? Zack Snyder, you know, he is a downer. He's trying for epic, not fun. But this is the fun character. This is the Spider-Man with the quips. Like, have a little... It doesn't all have to be serious, Zach. Like, you can let loose. Like, you can have one character have have different themes and, and yeah, have fun with them. I, I was happy because watching that 2017 cut again, what I responded to, I did like a lot of the humor. And thankfully, Zack Snyder shot a lot of that with The Flash because a lot of that's retained in this. And, and that stuff did work for me, those lighter moments. I think you need it. So I, I'm glad a lot of that stuff is retained. Those were probably the notes from the suits that Jeff Johns had to force upon Snyder at the time. (laughs) But I agree. I like this Flash. And seeing this cut makes me not dread the upcoming Ezra Miller Flash film. But I thought we'd see more of this girl he saves. Because when I was reading about this before it came out, they talked about this actress and how she was entirely on the cutting room floor. I thought he was going to have a romantic subplot. We never see her again. Well, yeah, did they give her a name in the credits? I didn't catch it, but I, I was wondering if they're setting up his future girlfriend. That would be my guess. And I will just go ahead and say another rehabilitated character in my mind. I really found Ezra Miller to be just unbearable, really, in that film. Like, just way too much. Here, probably because this movie is so mournful, everything is so sad all of the time to have a manic character that's always pushing comedy. Now the balance feels correct. Yeah, I like him here, and I like him when he goes back in. He had to tear off his shoes. His shoes can't handle his speed. But the hot dog, I thought he wanted a snack for later and was smiling free hot dog. (laughs) I thought that too, because yeah, he was always talking about how he's a black hole for snacks because he burns so many calories. Like, I thought he was going to eat that. Yeah, a snack (laughs) hole. But then he, he used it so he could get the job as the dog walker. I always keep a meat <laughs> treat in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Along with his resume. And then the other thing that's going on in this chapter three is I don't remember, and I know I just watched it last night, Steppenwolf having metal spiders that made people tell their inner secrets. Totally new. Okay, yeah. It's just a little detail here, but we see him getting to Atlantis with a little bit more understanding. That was a huge problem for us back in 2017, trying to figure out what the hell Mira is doing underwater. I think it helps to have already seen the the solo Aquaman movie. That is what's weird to me is like you get this moment where Steppenwolf's about to bring his axe down on Mera and Aquaman swims in and like there's this sting in the music as Aquaman and Mera look at each other. I'm like, is that supposed to mean something? Or is that supposed to set us up for Aquaman? Because you've had an hour and 47 minutes. You've had the length of most films to establish like this is a big deal that Aquaman's returning. And I don't feel that, but I think that's what we're supposed to feel. Yeah, you mentioned an hour and 45 minutes. Let's just point out 
most movies are wrapping up. Yes, they're over by this time. <laughs> We're still in what I feel is Act 1, and most movies are wrapping up. But again, it's Justice League, and that's an epic concept of all these superheroes, who, by the way, many of them have not had a solo movie yet. Unlike Marvel, they weren't building to this, they're starting here. And so my point is that I think... Because I've seen the movie that hadn't come out in 2017, like, this mirror stuff feels less bizarre and ill-inserted. Yeah, no, all of this Aquaman stuff makes more sense because we've now seen the Aquaman movie. And they've had time to perfect the CGI. Yes. Here. This fight is better in this version. Yeah, that we need to drill into that. They just technically speaking, this movie has more polish on it. It just looks in all scenes better than what it did in 2017. And part of it was Warner Brothers was demanding this November release date. Snyder wanted more time, maybe a little time off. They're like, "No, November we meet this November release date." We didn't reshot so much November release date. Well, it looks rushed, you know? That was one of my it wasn't a huge problem. I can, like Black Panther, I can go with a good movie that has some bad CGI if it's a good movie. But if you're a bad movie and then bring in this kind of PlayStation 3 effects, I'm going to rip you apart on it. So here, I couldn't believe it that Snyder's TV production looked so much better as far as all of this polish goes. Now, every so often, Steppenwolf still looks like he's now a PlayStation 4, maybe a PlayStation 5 creature, it's not the CGI, the actual rendering. It's, it's sometimes the effects, like how characters move. The physics still aren't there, but I agree. Overall, it looks better. Yeah, the stiffness was a problem. It's what signals that they didn't have enough time, because obviously with enough tweaking, even the old look of the character would have been more fluid. Now, part four, Change Machine, is, by my estimations, something we more or less see the same thing in... Both cuts. We get this moment where the team's got to come together and show what they can do. Aquaman has said no, but he's going to surprise them by showing up. And of course, Flash has nothing better to do. He's happy to join. People have different stakes in all of this, but this is the action scene to bring them all together to save nine hostages. There's one moment of humor here that I think we didn't cut out because... A lot of the Bruce meets Flash scene is identical, but then they get in the car and he asks Bruce what his superpower is and Bruce says, I'm rich. That's from the original. That was just a cut away in the Whedon cut, I remember. Here, that they're in a Mercedes that has doors like a DeLorean. He drives that thing. He has souped that motherfucker up. That thing drives like I couldn't believe. I'm like, I want that car. The moment I miss from that 2017 film happens between Flash and Batman at this point because Flash... He's got a suit. We got a four-hour cut. We still don't know how the super poor guy has a lair in a suit, but whatever. I guess we'll wait for the Flash movie for that. But, you know, the Flash is like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm nervous. And Batman says, save one. Just save one person. And, like, it's this total confidence booster when the Flash does it. Like, I really like that moment. It's gone because I think they set up the Flash as already saving people with that earlier scene in Central City. Well, there's that. But also... I rewatched Justice League for Wonder Woman. Few weeks later, I rewatched Age of Ultron for Scarlet Witch. And there's that scene between Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch where Scarlet Witch is like, go out there, save one person. <laughs> and if you walk out that door, you're an Avenger. I'm like, <laughs> did Whedon plagiarize himself? Yes, Whedon just took the Hawkeye Scarlet Witch scene and made it Batman and the Flash. Oops. <laughs> wow. 
Well, that is a reason to cut it, I suppose. You do not want to give Marvel that ammunition of, like, you plagiarized us, literally. Well, and Snyder is not going to use one frame of Whedon footage either. No. So I agree with you. I kind of liked it. But when I was rewatching those two in close proximity, I'm like, these scenes are pretty much the same. And I like Flash better with a little bit more confidence. I'm glad he's not the nervous Nelly of the bunch. I think the one thing that gets played up, though, or that I pick up on, seeing it in the Snyder Cut more than in the Whedon Cut is that of all of the heroes, Steppenwolf seems unnerved to see the Amazonian. Like, Wonder Woman scares him. There's something... I don't remember that they had the definitive death blow back, I guess, with Ares. Ares. So because Ares hurt Darkseid, he's really going to spend a lot of energy trying to deflate the confidence of Wonder Woman. He says she has the blood of the gods in her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, making me go back to thinking Ares is her daddy. Right. Which may have still been in Snyder's plan while making this, even if that was a changed ending in Wonder Woman. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So I think that's part of the reason why he does it. But again, the score here during the scene is really a just powerful electric score. Cyborg and Flash are so much better than they ever were. I don't even mind Batman's stupid Nightcrawler machine, which bothered me in the last (laughs) cut. It's all about tone, and here the tone is right. Yeah, it's a good scene in both cuts, but I think it plays better here. It was one of the better scenes in the last one. So my only problem is it took so long to get here. You know, we're going through this movie faster than the movie by about double speed by going to the highlights. There's so much time in between these highlights. Let me ask you guys, did you take breaks? How did you watch this movie? It's broken into chapters. Did you go for a run? Did you stretch? Did you take a day off? I watched about the first hour with my girls, and they, after that first hour, they were just not digging it, so they wanted to do a lot of snark and and make jokes during it, so I'm like, I'm going to go upstairs and finish it by myself. So I probably (laughs) took like 45 minutes off, and then I sat down and just barreled through the next three hours. I tried to do it in one sitting, but I think HBO Max was maxed out. I had some trouble streaming it this weekend. Do you have buffering issues? Yeah, I couldn't get the app to load several times. You watched it on the day of its release or or Friday? uh, Friday. Yeah, Friday. But I ended up watching all four hours over the span of six hours because, you know, what happened is I'd hit pause or I'd want to rewind and the app would crash on me and it took a half hour to get back in. But it was pretty much one long sitting, but I wanted to break it up because there were times where I'm like, I just need to walk away because this is not progressing. There's a lot of character development in here and I'm not saying there's a single scene that a fan wouldn't love to have. You're going to love having more time with these characters, but this feels like this should be the extended cut on the Blu-ray, but we should have had a three-hour cut that kept things moving better. Yeah, I I will say it's when we go from hour three to four, it's that last hour I finally start feeling it. Oh no, I felt it around hour two. I felt it before we got into the sewer, and then right after we get to the sewer. I stopped it where the moment where I'm like, I really just need to stop, and it was literally the halfway mark. It was two hours and one minute into the film. It was in the middle of this Nightcrawler stuff, and it was just like, I just need a break. I, I, I just felt like, yeah, with two hours, you're ready to 
to wrap things up. You're not ready for another whole two-hour movie. It's all about pacing. I watch Endgame repeatedly. That's a three-hour movie I watch in one sitting. But here, there's just long, languid parts of Bruce and Bruce and Alfred. So much Alfred. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a whole thing about, like, special Kryptonian gauntlets, like, being made for Batman that absorb energy. They basically work like Wonder Woman's gauntlets. <laughs> they even make a joke about that. But what's sustaining me, and I am, I think I've been on record, when it comes to the comics, I'm more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy. I'm excited that there's new gods here. Like, we're going to get in this fourth part. This is where we finally get the anti-life equation mentioned. And, like, that got me super excited. Like, the multiverse gets mentioned. I'm like, oh, damn. Like, I I'm starting to wish because I, I know stuff that could get put into future movies. And, and I, I like a lot of the characters here. So it's just like a DC fan. I'm like, oh, wow. What, what are they going to do with this? What are they going to do with the multiverse? Eventually? So there's exciting things there. I think if you're a DC fan, that's what kind of sustained me for through the first three hours. Like where I, I got through it pretty easily. Not every scene, but there's enough scenes where like they went a little bit deeper into the DC lore. And I enjoyed that. I appreciate that, but it also what it made me feel more miniseries, TV, like not movie. That's how I ultimately am going to judge this because yeah, this feels like what is there five or six parts that six and an epilogue and a prologue. True, yeah, put it out as six or seven episodes. I mean, sneak peek into my final judgment on this, but. It does feel more like it should have been a series and you could binge it like we all binged it. I, I'm just going to say this is a series you could watch in chapters or you could binge it like I did. If I could have, if I didn't have to make time to do this show when we're doing it, I would have taken two days. So they've got two out of three boxes. Darkseid's getting excited, but they don't know where the third box is. It's still asleep. Right. And it was not in Superman's ship. That was a hologram that Lex Luthor was looking at. We're going to find out from Cyborg that uh, basically the Nazis had it at one point, and somehow it wound up in Pentagon storage until his dad dug it out. Next to the Lost Ark? Yeah, you talk about cutting that Flash scene because it reminded you of Age of Ultron. I mean, there's so much Marvel stuff in here. The fact that the Nazis had the Tesseract, I mean, the Mother Box. Mm -hmm. You're right. It does. Yeah, the Tesseract was definitely, I couldn't even think of the name of that device, but I was like, I feel like I've seen that before with Nazis and Magic Box. You have. <laughs> Captain America, the first Avenger. I thought that what they said is the Nazis stole it and they stole it back. They found it. I guess they dug it up or it got revealed wherever it was buried during the war and they found it, it says. Good point. It was buried in what looked like a German forest. A very low, yeah. It wasn't buried very deep. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, so that's where everything is at right now, because the Atlantean box, the Amazonian box, they are stolen. But the Americans put it in, in storage, but then... Silas got it? Yeah, he knew... Uh, what I heard, lines of dialogue, is that the properties of this ignored artifact way deep in the Pentagon war chest... Uh, were very similar to what they were looking at on Superman's ship. Yeah, so you could just make a request to get it pulled out? Yeah, I guess they were like, let's see how close they are. And oh, by the way, my son has been amputated in a terrible car crash. Let's just stick the box on him and see what happens. Yeah, because they 
look, these mother boxes aren't inherently evil. In the comics, like, the good guys and bad guys have mother boxes. Uh, they're kind of just neutral, and they're kind of like iPhones, but super smart. Better than your iPhone. Nothing's better, damn it. Does it have a 12 megapixel camera? I think not. <laughs> they they could probably, like, render stuff in 3D for you. But, but the problem for me isn't, okay, so they're going to say the boxes are inherently evil, and yeah, sure, it gives Cyborg these powers. My problem is, this doesn't answer, again, four hours. Can you answer one of the major plot holes, problems we had with the first one is that these mother boxes came alive because Superman died. And so now they, oh, they were afraid of him. But again, what about the millennia before he showed up? Like they don't address that again. That's still a flaw in this film. Yeah, it's, it's all sticky. And why only one box was crying out at a time and why it's silent now, I, I, it, it doesn't really matter. Maybe it's afraid of Cyborg in the way that it's afraid of Superman. We could spend some time trying to help or hurt this movie by dwelling on this. I would rather focus on the other really weird moment in part four where we think we're getting a, a normal domestic scene of Martha Kent coming to visit Lois Lane. This was in the Whedon cut. Yeah, what are you talking of weird scene? It's just Martha and Lois talking. No, they were at her office at the Daily Planet talking about where life brings them. But at no point did Martha step out of the apartment and then shapeshift into... I kept calling him... I couldn't remember. Like, we watched... A Melrose Place like TV show <laughs> yes. called Justice League of America that had a fat man from MASH in a suit that was very ill fitting, wouldn't have passed the mustard at Halloween. <laughs> And I, I couldn't remember what he was called, and they don't identify him in this moment. I kept writing Marvin the Martian. <laughs> no, no, which no. Is not who this is. Close. Killed a rabbit. Killed a rabbit. No, yeah. There was supposed to be a big kaboom. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does say at the end he's gone by many names. Maybe Marvin the Martian is one of them, but no. Martian Manhunter. Yeah, it's, it's a very fast scene. She leaves the apartment, yeah. and she shapeshifts into Martian Manhunter. And then shapeshifts again into this military guy we've seen in both previous Superman movies. General Swanwick. Yeah, he was the guy that brought information to Lois about the whole African thing. I mean, like, they've been using him enough for you to know who he is without really knowing his name was Swanwick. And now, I guess what they're telling us, and maybe it means something to DC fans, is all along there's been another alien infiltrating the U.S. military and gathering information. I mean, that yeah, that is his backstory, is that he disguises himself. I think he really liked detective shows, and so he's kind of like a P.I., but yeah, he could shapeshift and get into different places, so I guess Martian Manhunter's been around all along. <laughs> Including Lois's house? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, like, the fact that he's, be basically, he's begging her to get back into the game, I'm like, has <laughs> he got game? Like, what is he wanting out of this? And he's talking about the foreclosure on Martha's house. I'm like, he knows a lot about Martha, too. <laughs> This is a very long series, I'll, I'll call it, six, seven parts, whatever. But yeah, the, the fact we saw maybe two hours ago, Martha pack up everything and leave that house. Like, so yeah, I haven't been thinking about her a whole lot. Yeah. And, and again, we know that Zack Snyder, as you pointed out, wanted to build a love triangle between Lois 
and Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent or whatever. Which explains the pregnancy test. Yeah. Did, did Marvin the Martian want in on this? I don't know. I don't know if it was a four-way <laughs> planned or what. But. And remind me, isn't force majeure what you use when you want to use eminent domain and take somebody's house away? Because I never understood force majeure pregnancy test. That's the brand I want. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, the pregnancy test, let's just, since you're, it's here, are we to think that she has been having sex? with someone other than the memory of Clark. My thought was Clark left his baby in her. Superman returns all over again. Okay. My thought was that happened so long ago, over nine months ago, that she has found another lover. I'm not sure what the timeline is because they'll reference Lex, again, going crazy and warning of an invasion. And they're like, well, that was years ago and nothing ever happened. I I don't know. To me, that was, it feels maybe it was last week in this universe because we started off with the doomsday and that, that came from that Batman v Superman. So I'm not even sure what the timeline is. However long it's been, Lois has been out of work. She has not gone in. She's not collected unemployment. She's still living in a Metropolis apartment. So she's got, you know, I can't imagine Metropolis real estate is cheap. And she's still going to that memorial every single day. And buying expensive coffees with latte art for the security guard. So either she's independently wealthy or she's, it's only been a few weeks. I think Perry White's still paying her just, just to, you know, keep her on the payroll so when she decides to come back they have her are they still paying Lawrence Fishburne to not be in the movie yeah he's not here <laughs> even in the Snyder Cut we got none of him but again it's it's I think important to point out that this Martian Manhunter came because he wanted Lois to come back to work and it's setting up the idea that in order for her to do that she's going to stop going to this memorial grave she's going to go for the last time and see it and it just so happens to be when the Justice League is going to use this box that Cyborg has to revive Superman. Four-hour cut, the decision to revive Superman still feels a little rushed. Like, they're all stepping around the mother... Like, they're all standing around the mother box and, like, energy into matter. If you burn down a house, the house exists as smoke, but the mother box could turn the smoke into a house. Yeah, it's a tenant machine, right? It's (laughs) Mm -hmm. anti-entropy. Sort of a nice image. If you're not big on science, and I'm not, it was a nice way of thinking about what they were doing with a magic box that I would have been happy to say, abracadabra, alakazam, poof, he's back. I will say, Arnie, like during this, yeah, they're setting up the whole resurrection thing. I'm like, I don't know. This feels like it should be way scarier. Like there should be more dread. But then they do give us like a vision that Cyborg has of Darkseid taking over the Earth. I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. Like, I'm, I'm glad we got this stuff here. And evil Superman. Yeah. So what? Darkseid, he's sitting on the Amazon's throne. Wonder Woman's dead. Yeah. She's on a funeral pyre being burned with her sword and mom is crying and I, I, I don't know. I thought Darkseid was on some throne elsewhere, but maybe he's there. Maybe he is on Paradise Island. It's not a paradise anymore. It looks like it's in flames. <laughs> yeah, we see the ships above there, like, raining down fire. And then we see Darkseid. He goes to Atlantis. And again, hitting that sweet spot for, like, DC fans. You see these beams come out of his eyes, the Omega beams. And they go on all these zigzag ways and then disintegrate this Atlantean. Like, that, that's hitting my love for DC sweet spot right there. And he he takes the trident and spears Aquaman. Yeah. Two of the Justice League are going to die by setting off this box. And we even have 
a heavy premonition of that because these two are joking that, hey, you're an Amazonian, I'm an Atlantean or a half Atlantean, and they don't like each other, but we both have this saying, none are taken back from darkness without giving up one in return. And so it tells us, I think there is portent in what they're doing here that this will not be clean. Bringing Superman back comes at a cost that will take out Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Yeah, I mean, the most foreboding thing is we see Superman holding a charred body. I'm guessing that's Lois. So it were yeah, it has to be. A whole lot about Lois being the key and then Darkseid walking up behind him and just putting this hand on his shoulder and very ominous. Right. He turns to the dark side because of this. And we'll have Batman v Superman, but this time we'll be rooting for Batman. Except in the nightmare vision in Batman v Superman... I thought Superman just turned evil, but this movie's talking about the anti-life formula that can make you control anyone, so now I think Superman is under mind control of the anti-life. I don't understand the concept of anti-life, and it's fine. I've seen enough comic book movies to know when my limits of understanding are, are acceptable, and this is <laughs> fine. I He'll go bad for reasons, and they're opening Pandora's box by firing up this mother's box. I actually like all of this. I think it actually makes the stakes higher than they were in the 2017 movie. I probably don't have to say this, but of course this is extended longer. And <laughs> what's weird is like the box is dropped. The whole thing is the Flash has got to run and touch the box just as it hits the water. And because Cyborg has had this vision, it's kind of delayed the Flash taking off. And so the mother box drops, it hits the water, and then they like reverse the footage. Like, does the mother box know, oh, wait, I got to come out a little so we can get this timing right? Flash talks about it. He says, I need to go near the speed of light. And yes. when I do that, things go wonky with time. Oh, okay. What this is telling you is when Flash goes the speed of light, he's actually going back in time a little bit. He's reversing time. That's going to be the climax of this movie. Yeah, no, I got it with the climax. I missed it here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm like, is the mother box trying to help him out? This is Chekhov's time machine. Okay, I got it. So he, he approaches the speed of light, and even though he missed his moment, he's going fast enough. Time is reversing from his point of view, so it's coming back up. Definitely setting up that cosmic treadmill when he wants to, yeah, reverse time, which we'll maybe get in a Flash movie someday. And let me just call out again, wonderful score here. I'm loving what Junkie XL is doing during the scene. And then we get the scene that was probably the best scene in the 2017 cut, largely unfiddled with, I feel, like Superman's revival. Again, because it's been made more ominous, it feels more satisfying that he looks evil in attacking these Justice Leaguers here at the memorial. Yeah, the biggest change is when Batman finally shows up. We get to see him use those gauntlets. I think this is the last time he uses those gauntlets. You'd expect those to be used in the final fight, but no, he just blocks heat vision from Superman. They're destroyed. One blast of supervision and he has to rip them off. I'm glad they kept my favorite scene from the last Justice League. The best scene from that last film, again, is when the Flash is going to charge Superman as he's taking out everyone else and Superman's able to just turn that eye and look at the Flash at super speed. Like, I love that moment. I'm glad it's still here. Yeah, Flash's face of like, yes, shit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then it's even better. There's more fight between them. And I caught this only because I'd seen it online earlier. When he finally knocks Flash down, you know, the, there's that memorial of all the people who've died. Yeah. Right over Flash's shoulder. 
Ben Parker, Spider-Man's Uncle Ben, died in Metropolis. Oh, I, I was looking at the names because I'm sure there's going to be Easter eggs. I did not see that one. Mate, Ben Parker. Uh-huh. It's a multiverse. They do cross over in the comics, at least in the 90s they did. But he, that's Marvel. Yeah, he was either calling out to Marvel that we killed you like Uncle Ben, or maybe <laughs> maybe there's a special effects guy named Ben Parker who's working on the film. It's not an incredibly rare name. I, I could believe for lots of reasons. Uh, no, I... I, I gotta side that it's intentional. All I mean, right. this is a film about absent father figures. And they also cut one of the things I hated most about the last movie is Superman asking Batman, do you bleed? I mean, Batman's human. Obviously, he bleeds. They bled last fight. It's a callback, though. It's a needless callback that made no sense. And I, although I liked last time Superman saying, you wouldn't let me live, now you won't let me die. I, I thought that was a good pathos moment that we lose here. And speaking of which, the thing that does feel changed about this scene is we have more of Silas Stone. He gets to do something heroic. He also gets to get killed here. Yeah, in that 2017 cut, they resurrect Superman, the mother box goes flying out and lands on a car, and then Steppenwolf just shows up and takes it. I'm like, oh, great, here's this part that, like, no fight, we're just going to let him take it. But no, it turns into a whole scene, like, there's a whole battle for it. Right, and it sort of helps deepen the family drama between Victor and Silas, and he's going to have a new appreciation for his dad now that he is dead. He wanted him dead, and now he is dead, and he he sacrificed himself so they could put a heat signature on that mother box they'll be able to track it to the chernobyl climax yeah silas he could have stepped out of that room i think he didn't have to be a martyr with the box but yeah this laser's going all around and steppenwolf gets it and but he and victor had a moment like they had a glance at each other a couple of times when victor was stealing the box Silas knew and helped him get the box and they kind of had a meaningful exchange like they were finally coming to terms with each other so there was that before his dad dies yeah well here Silas sacrifices himself trying to destroy the mother box like he locks it in a room and shoots it with a laser and it like reflects and disintegrates him he wasn't trying to, to destroy it it's like Stuart to said. turn it off shut it down no 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 they, no they said earlier that scientist that you guys say matters and becomes an atom Choi Ryan Choi yes uh, Talks about how if they x-ray Kryptonian metal. It's super hot inside. Yes, which is what he was doing to the mother box. He didn't think it would destroy it. It would turn super hot inside. So Steppenwolf doesn't burn his fingertips. They track the heat signature. In 2017, it's just said, Cyborg, you're a machine. You can track the box. And they got there. And here, they've given Cyborg a moment to lose his father. It's more dramatic. And then they've given, like, the human had a reason for doing it. And so, yes, in the language, in the dialogue that may or may not land, sounds like it didn't for you, Jacob. The box is so hot, we'll know where it lands up. Okay, so it's a way to track it. And he's got to sacrifice himself in order to do that. Uh, Maybe, but, you know, it just makes it so dramatic. And we've moved on to the final part, something darker. I guess it's darker that Silas is dead. We're also going to get a line here that basically there was a Barry flashback, uh, or there was a flash flashback in the last one where he's screaming Lois Lane is the key and nobody knew what that meant we will return to that moment Batman is talking to Wonder Woman and he and she are thinking that Lois was both the key to reviving Superman and turning him back into his heroic self and something else again does this look like somebody that's been stooping Lois on the side not just something else something darker 
I never thought it. Here, I think it's all about Clark and Lois back on the farm and Clark coming back to himself. And Alfred, we gotta have more Alfred. He taught Wonder Woman how to make tea without scorching the leaves. Four seconds of tea pouring, yes. Now everybody has to meet Alfred. Yeah, poor Jeremy Irons, who is a great actor, who makes sense, uh, you know, Michael Caine. It's been a history of very good English actors. Michael uh, Go Playing this character, but try as they might, even in this four-hour cut, I don't think he ever does one thing that matters. Yeah, they give him a whole subplot about trying to get the bat plane to fly, and then Cyborg just shows up and fixes it. Like, I don't know why that's not all cut. The plane wanted to fly. It needs to fly. Yeah, well, when you have a character that can talk to machines, you don't need a mechanic character. Like, that just doesn't work. Yeah, which which is how they resolve it in the 2017 cut. Like, Cyborg just shows up, hey, I fixed your plane. Hey, Alfred's badass because Aquaman says so. <laughs> Look, I, I think he is. I just wish we got to see Jeremy Irons do something badass, though. I think he and J.K. Simmons were off on the side having a beer. Like, can you believe this <laughs> shit we're in? We don't get to do anything. Yeah, J.K. doesn't get to do anything new here, does he? That seems like it was all recycled from the original. I had forgotten that he was in it. Again, I I was like, J. J. Jonah Jameson, I'm sure we brought this up on the last podcast, <laughs> but it feels like it's muddying the waters. I'm like, who are you again? It took me a second to realize Commissioner Gordon. But if Alfred is badass, so is Superman when he goes to his wardrobe and decides he's back in black. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm like, why pick this suit? Are they going to reference like, oh, he needs it because he's still regenerating or whatnot? You know, they have whole reasons why he wore a black suit when he's resurrected after his death in the comics here. Yeah, it's just he goes to the closet on the spaceship and it picks out a new suit. But there's imagery. His blue and red suit is there in the background. Yep. And when he sees the black suit, the ship knows and just closes the door on the red and blue. I like the black and silver. I think it looks kind of cool. I mean, it's it's fine for, you know, this is resurrected Superman. They're trying to throw back to those comics. Though I do feel like Snyder's like, yes, you should always be in black. Everyone should be in black. <laughs> At least he didn't open up a can of liquid goo and pour it over him like that Tim Burton movie with Nick Cage that never happened. I mean, there are weirder ways to get to the black suit. And I, I, while I do not buy dark Superman that you, Jacob, have convinced me that this is not the way to go with this character. I feel like, more or less, he's given the right amount of time in this movie by being the final piece that comes into play and makes the Justice League happen in this climax. After visiting Alfred! Yeah. <laughs> Why? Cut that scene. Why are you here? They're not here. Oh, okay, I'll hang out with you for a little bit. Do you, can you teach me how to make tea? <laughs> There's this weird, like mystery like Superman tells his mom they wanted me back for a reason I need to find out why just use your super hearing and listen there's weird stuff going on in Russia like you could sense that but I guess he's got to go to Alfred to ask him hey what am I supposed to do yeah I think that anyone would know if there's like a monster that is descended on earth we need your help with that like it's <laughs> it's not to like help get the ship flying or whatever else that they might be doing you destroyed the, the bat gauntlets we need new bat gauntlets <laughs> can you make some <laughs> yeah could you go get a pizza for Flash. No, it just, no. It, come on. Like I said, this is truly uncut. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you can feel it in this, by chapter six, I'm definitely feeling like, okay, let's get there. Let's get to some new stuff. This is where we're going to get a climax that is half what we got in 2017, minus the Russian family under the table. I hated them so much. You know, I love to hate them. Yeah. 
it feels like many of the scenes were recycled. We're still getting bro Aquaman. I think we called him like surfing down a parademon. My man. Yeah. I mean, did he didn't yeah. do that though, did he? Yes. He yes, he does. Did, but this time he does it for Cyborg when Cyborg catches him midair oh. instead of while riding the Batmobile. There's some new footage here, but it does feel like overall they have made this much darker. Like Whedon, it felt like that was happening. A brighter universe, that's what they wanted, a more family-friendly one. Here it does feel like they put a dark filter over the image. The climax of this movie is an hour long. Yeah, too long. And yet I like what they're doing. Batman has that aircraft carrier that cyborg fixed he's just gonna go in missiles blazing and knock down the tower and draw the fire and those parademons that i always just thought looked like that kitty zombie with wings they have like laser cannons now and there's a lot going on it's good action though is what i'm gonna say no siren though to scare them remember that whole plot in the original one like batman trying to make a siren that would scare him yeah because in whedon's in that silly-ass rooftop scene, he was scaring a burglar because the parademons are attracted to fear. Yes. And that's what defeated Steppenwolf as Superman made Steppenwolf afraid, and so he, his demons turned on him, which, you know, dumb as hell. Here, there's none of that, and there's just a lot of battles, and Batman's ready to sacrifice himself. Yes. Repeatedly. You've seen that throughout the movie, that Bruce has such a guilt complex about killing God, basically. We had Jesus among us, and he died in part because I picked a fight with him. And so, yeah, he wants to die. Yeah, I felt that. Like, he didn't care if he lived or died. As long as he saved the day, this wasn't about him. I, I wish that, again, you had four hours to build this up. I wish that was a stronger arc. It's stronger than the 2017 cut, but it's still not fully there. I feel like it's there enough if you're paying attention to Batman. Enough, enough. If you're paying attention to Batman. But the fact is, there are tons of things to distract you and Affleck is not my favorite actor to take on this role I realized in this one I did feel like in certain shots when he's lingering over the thing and all I'm like oh they really could have made it Christian Bale I feel like it is we are supposed to think that it is the same Batman from those three Nolan films. Yeah, they wanted him back. I mean, they asked him to come back, offered him a ton of money to come back. He didn't take it, I remember, but I feel like they really wrote it and kept it in-universe with those three films. I gotta say, I thought after Batman v Superman that Batfleck was the best Batman, but somehow here, either Whedon or Snyder did something to his voice, because here he's got the bad Bat voice again. <laughs> Yeah, the Christian Bale voice. Yeah, it's like a terrible bat voice, whereas he never bothered me with it. I mean, it was modulated mm -hmm. in Batman v Superman, but... It does seem to stand out more in this okay, one. Okay, it's not just me, then. I'm glad to hear that. I felt it this time. I didn't feel it when I rewatched the 2017 one. Yeah, I've never had a problem with it in the 2017. So here it's just bugging me a little. But I don't think watching Affleck's performance that you would know he wanted to die. It's everybody else's reaction. Again, it's lines said, yeah. Yeah, they're all like, Bruce, what about you? Don't worry about me. It's it's the other people seeming so worried about him that tells me he's okay sacrificing himself. I do like, again, this is the cyborg film. <laughs> it's all about him, but I like that they, again, I clearly understand what their goal is this time, that he's got to interface and like basically hack into the mother box and Flash has got to run super fast to give him this charge to disrupt their power so he could sneak it like cyborg is basically the lawnmower man like the most powerful lawnmower <laughs> wow. man but like wow you cut him off in the knees he already didn't have knees and you cut him off again 
But like, I like that I have a, a clear understanding of what is supposed to be done. So when things go wrong, I, I understand like when Flash gets hit by that Parademon's laser and falls and has to recharge it. Like, I understand what's going on this time. It, that last one just feels like a lot of noise. I really tune out during this final battle in the 2017 cut. This one, because I have a better understanding of what the goals are and what the stakes are, I'm more into it. Agreed. And they give more for the supporting characters to do. Cyborg, obviously, is doing the most here, but it's worth pointing out that he fails. Like, the way that they've set it up is extended. Like, the synchronization happens before he can get into the mother boxes, and they got to give it to Barry to prove that he is a good runner. And to please that dad in jail, who, again, I think they only cast him because he was in a running movie once. And we're supposed to remember (laughs) Billy Crudup is is associated with running (laughs) somehow. I didn't remember that, but yeah, I do love it. The boom tube opens, we see Darkseid, we see Desaad, we see Granny Goodness. I know that doesn't mean anything probably to you guys, but again, excited to see the new god showing up, and Darkseid wins. Well, good thing Superman is alive, and to cheer him up, flies in, gets the dramatic stopping of the swinging of Steppenwolf's axe. But Flash, he's got to do, look, I do love this in superhero comics like this and, and movies like this is this is a sweet spot for me. Just like when you got to do that impossible thing and you do it, Spider-Man does that all the time. Like that is his thing. So like, yeah, the Flash, they've lost. Like Darkseid has won. The unity has happened. The Earth is transforming. But now the Flash has got to do that thing that's impossible. Run faster than light. Make everything reverse. Like I, I really like this. Yeah, it's really cool to see the flesh come back on Superman's bones and yeah. Cyborg to reform. I didn't catch them like being blown up, but seeing them come back together was a nice visual. And I, I was like, damn, Darkseid really messed things up. And of course, it's deus ex machina here that Flash can just undo that by running fast. Yeah, but they set that up early on, so I'm okay with it. It makes you wonder in the solo movie, will he be running back in time? He will be, Stuart. That's his thing. To fix his father's alleged murder. Will they get back to the fact that the father allegedly killed the mother, but or or didn't, but went to jail. I'm I'm curious about that backstory that you guys probably already know. I would put a lot of money on that being the plot. Yeah, and we get another extended moment here with Cyborg as well. Once he's inside those boxes, he gets tempted in. Don't you want to have your normal football body and life again? Yeah, be with your family, and I'd love that. I'm not broken, and I'm not alone. Like again, this. It's not 100% successful in, in like telling me like everyone's issues have been resolved with, with this team coming together, but it's done enough where those lines are meaningful, and I really like that Cyborg has a great arc in this movie. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I like him. If this is Ray Fisher's only chance to do Cyborg, he's done justice. No pun intended. But no, sh- no, I agree with you. I like him, <laughs> and uh, it, it'd be a shame for him not to get something in the future. But this is a Snyder film, so of course, you know, Steppenwolf, he's going to get his head cut off by Wonder Woman. Yeah. And then Darkseid is going to step on it and crush it. I did like that detail. He already did have one horn taken off. I thought he looked really, like, cool just that way. Yeah, one was cut off during the fight. Yeah, like, he already looked really maimed and here that as he's being knocked backwards to, to have the body delivered headless and to have that minion Dasad be like, told you so. <laughs> That but, was fun. Yeah, and, and Darkseid's okay with this, that he doesn't have the mother boxes. He doesn't need them because they know anti-life exists on Earth. Right. It was uh, in losing, they still have the plans for ultimate victory. A way to get to a sequel. <laughs> but is Steppenwolf made of stone? Because when Darkseid steps on his head, it just crumbles like stone. It doesn't, like, squish. I mean, they're gods, so, yeah, I'm not sure what gods are made out of. 
We're on to the epilogue of Father Twice Over, most directly referencing the fact that Silas birthed his son twice, first biologically and then by taking that mother box to create Cyborg. We're going to get a replay of the microcassette. Cyborg is wanting to finally hear what his father had to say about being a father. He can talk to computers, I get, but he can put his hand over, like, a smashed microcassette? Well, he's he's a mother box. That's what the mother boxes do. Silas is a high-end scientist. Why does he have a Sony microcassette recorder that he stole from Agent Cooper? Why didn't he just email him a, a voice memo on his iPhone? <laughs> well, he is pretty old, and, you know, people get into habits. Uh, what, the guy from Game of Thrones still uses a typewriter, you know? Like, maybe he just really likes to, the those... I don't know where you can find them. That's the only thing is, like, where can you find microcassettes to talk into? Radio Shack is closed. <laughs> <laughs> he must have Flash running back in time to get him everything he needs from 1993. Yeah, no, they still had him at Walmart when I looked a few years ago. Is there a consistent period of time that has passed for this epilogue? Because this whole cyborg rebuilding the tape recorder and listening to this tape, that, that feels like that could have happened like the next day. Like Aquaman is saying, I'm going to see my dad. Okay, that we're going to get that Aquaman solo film. Mm-hmm. But then things like Batman is standing on top of his tank from Dark Knight Returns. I don't understand this scene. It's an exciting frame, but that seems like something that happened in the far future. I don't even think Wonder Woman's here. And then we'll go way into the future with the end. We'll talk about that's its own little separate thing we need to talk about. But what period of time is this epilogue covering? And where's Wonder Woman? Well, I think Batman on the Tumblr is... Oh, that is not Tumblr. That is the tank from Dark Knight Returns. You can see the mutant leader, like, laying down below. Like, it's straight from that comic. Well, the burned-out house is straight from the Nolan trilogy, though. The Wayne Manor in disarray. So I think that that's also a few days later as Bruce is building the Knights of the Justice League roundtable. Yeah, the Hall of Justice, as I think of them yeah. from Super Friends. Like, oh, so this will actually be the building, and, and they're hoping for metahumans to fill up the place. So just, I guess Dark Knight Returns happened a few days after they defeated Darkseid. But where's Wonder Woman? Because Ryan Choi, they set up his character. He's taking over Star Labs. But Wonder Woman had a big scene in a kid. They, they changed the whole monologue that's going on. Instead of Lois writing a puff piece for her paper, it's Silas, you know, narrating on that tape. And But Wonder Woman's big thing in the last one is that that's what caused her to finally come out of the shadows and take on this, you know, let the public know who she is. Maybe they're trying to retcon that because... 84 came out and she kind of does that in 84 i'm not 100 percent sure but 80 84 hadn't come out but it has now they thought they were leading into that so the reason why we don't have to give her or aquaman a lot of room here in a movie that already feels really long is well their movies are just about to drop but maybe snyder did cut one thing here from the end about her coming out of the shadows because of 1984. Maybe he looked at 1984 and was like, and heard the director of that say, yeah, I'm not paying any attention to what Snyder does now. Yeah, because we still get an Aquaman scene like setting up his movie. There's nothing for Wonder Woman, though. Well, the dark side premonition showed her dead. So when we see her, she she gets, I think, one of the last shots. 
She walks up on a hill and she looks out at a setting sun. She's thinking about going home. I believe her mother shot the arrow saying, come back to me, Diana. Diana is now holding that arrow. But we know when she goes home in the dark side future, she's burning on a pyre. So I think this might be the last that we'll see of her. Is Clark going back to work at the Daily Planet, though? Like, that's going to be really awkward. Yeah. (laughs) Weren't you dead? Didn't we bury you? I don't understand how nobody puts together Superman died and Clark died. Superman's back and Clark's back. Yeah, but he got to do the whole... I don't think they've done that in this universe, right? The ripping of the shirt, the showing of the S. No, that's a Christopher Reeve move. I think of that as very much being the Donner stuff. But he's got that black outfit still. The Snyder, this is dark, this is mature. So he's got to keep that uniform. But then the new scene. The totally new scene filmed that does not really make a whole lot of sense in context here. This is the movie I want, though. I want my Mad Max Batman. Like, just, can we just, Snyder, forget all your other cuts. Just do this movie. I don't care if we don't understand how we got there. I just want Mad Max Batman. You know, that was really what got me buying Batman toys, was Batman in the steampunk trench coat goggles. I just love that look of Batman. But here, he's with Deathstroke, who we saw was teaming up with Lex to kill Batman. Yeah, I thought that's what was significant, was I already thought I got a stinger saying, oh, Batman's in trouble because this fake Deadpool is going to come for him. And he knows his name. He knows he's Bruce Wayne. Now they're friends? Things are so bad that now they're friends in the very next scene. It's a it's a shocking juxtaposition that kind of leads us to where they're finally going to land with Joker of like, wow, it, this future sure has some strange bedfellows calling themselves friends. Yeah, the strange bedfellow is Jared Leto in DC. It apparently took years for Snyder to get Leto back in that makeup because, come on, if you were screwed over like Leto was in Suicide Squad, would you want to put it back on? Based on Leto's performance of the Joker here, release the Leto cut of Suicide Squad. I want to see more of his Joker. I really liked him here. Apparently, long before the Snyder Cut was approved, Zach was talking to Jared about coming back. He still has that long Morbius hair. And no tattoos on his face. And how this was filmed is this was filmed during the pandemic. So this scene is totally new, this whole end apocalypse scene. It felt like it. It felt like something that it would have been the last thing you would have been able to film back then. And and it's just not the direction by going with Whedon. They were never going to go to the dark side. And like Ezra Miller was shooting Fantastic Beasts in England. And so he's not really there. Yeah, the the Flash has some kind of weird like helmet that covers his face. And Jared Leto wasn't there either. Uh, He had to be filmed separate. The only ones who were together were Affleck and Amber Heard, Joe Mangiello, and Ray Fisher. So Ray Fisher got back in the mocap suit. Even though he's supposedly not coming back to Cyborg, they got him back for this reshoot. I, you know what? That may be the desire of a studio that feels like you told tales out of school, but this is Snyder's cut. So Snyder is going to say, in my universe, Cyborg and Ray Fisher has a place. Mm-hmm. So those four were together. Everybody else was apart, including, of course, Superman, who's going to show up here at the very end to glow his eyes red. It's significant that I feel like that Joker and Batman have this exchange where they've killed each other's 
partners. Harley Quinn is dead. Yeah, did he Batman kill her? That's what I was trying to figure out. Like, it definitely makes it sound like it. Oh, I took it a different way. I thought in this post-apocalyptic future, you know, if Joker and Batman are teamed up, Harley was never as bad as as Joker. So I thought, like, maybe fighting a pair of demons or something, Harley got killed and died in Batman's arms. She died in a way that made her hating Joker. Mm-hmm. And Batman brings it up after the Joker taunts him about murdering Robin, the boy wonder. Right. So, like, was this a in retribution for that? We had that tease in Batman v Superman that that may have already happened, but we have never had a Robin outside of that unfortunate Schumacher film. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody would cry about Chris O'Donnell. I can just say, well, that's fine. Maybe Joseph Gordon-Levitt? He was sort of Robin-y? Okay, you're right. That was where they were going in this universe. So that he got killed is a movie they could still make? Or were they implying... I got a little confused. Were they implying that Lois was Robin for a little while? Because <laughs> No, no, no. Okay. Well, who knows? Because it, an interesting line that the Joker says, How many alternate timelines do you destroy the world? Because you don't have the cojones to die yourself. Like, is he aware? Like, is again, the multiverse, alternate timelines. Like, what does the Joker know? I heard that word multiverse once when Darkseid was speechifying. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I know what that means in general. It means that in this universe, we can take away continuity at a snap of the finger. Yeah, DC has kind of become obsessed with the multiverse. Like, their history got so convoluted, they try to destroy it and say, okay, this is the official version of Superman, and then they brought back, like, 52 different universes. I think they're back to a multiverse because of DC Metal. Like, they revealed there's also the anti-multiverse, the dark multiverse. I will say this. In part, it would be hard to erase all the good iterations of Joker. You wouldn't want to get rid of Heath Ledger or Jared Leto or... Joaquin, you know, I feel like that's why it has to be multiverse. In Marvel, it's yet to be determined whether new people can step into the characters and play them in the future. Will Anthony Mackie be a good Captain America? To be determined, but we know and don't want to lose all the different iterations we've had of some of these DC villains and heroes. Yeah, it's got to be a multiverse. Yeah, if Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't come back in the refrigerator suit, I'm going to be mad. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that could be a lot of fun. But this is also where we have Batman. Guys, this is adult, this is mature. He's going to say the F word. He's going to fucking kill the Joker. Yeah. Which, because this is Mad Max Batman, I actually don't have a problem with that. Like, yeah, you could explore that. I And because, again, this feels like a what-if story. I, I'm fine with all this gritty, all this edginess to Batman and the Joker going on. So, if I can sift through your anger, you're mad because Zack Snyder has apparently talked up the fact that his movie is more adult than any superhero movie that came before. Yeah, that's the lot of the branding I felt like he was trying to make this. This isn't, you know, forget your underoos that you wore as a kid. This is the adult version. And I think, look, we have the adult version. Go watch The Boys. Like, you want a mature take on superheroes and how they could become part of the military-industrial complex? Go watch The Boys on Amazon. Like, I don't have a problem with a mature take on superheroes. It's it's when you get into these properties, not necessarily because they're kids' properties, because but because I feel like Superman has different goals than, like, to teach us about the hard truths of life. He's, he's there to be an inspiration figure so it always just kind of makes me roll my eyes when someone wants to get super gritty and look the dc universe does this all the time in their comics and i don't like it like the fact that batman at one point
point had his mind erased because he discovered Dr. Light was a rapist and raped the elongated man's wife. I don't want rape going on with Batman stories. I just that's not the purpose of DC superheroes. They Arnie, you've mentioned they're supposed to be this larger than life Greek pantheon. And look, look, Zeus raped a lot of women, but I don't want that in my DC superheroes. Like you could do adults, mature stories. Marvel has showed that without it being about I'm going to fucking kill this guy. But what I'm hearing is you actually do think this is cool. You actually do like this universe. You do want this. You're just mad at Zack Snyder for being pretentious. Oh, I like this alternate vision. Yes, it it is totally, again, about how he was trying to sell this. I'm not the audience that he was trying to sell this to. It sounds like a lot of people in his cult want that vision, not me. But yes, Mad Max Batman, give it to me. I want this film. Are we going to get it? Is this all a cock tease? I would say I'm on board with that, too. And I, I say that as someone that did not understand or particularly like the dream sequence in Batman v Superman. This has been justified. I actually feel like, okay, you have now told me this is, whether it's just an offshoot and has nothing to do, we'll find out this was all a dream, and maybe it's not where DC is going, but if they did want to do a one-off with Darkseid in a dark Batman v Superman universe, Mad Max style... I'm on board. But the the close of this film, I haven't heard if there's a Martian Manhunter film that's been announced, but he shows up like in Martian form. This makes sense to me because when they announced Justice League at San Diego Comic-Con, I swear that they started saying, Unite the Seven. And I thought it was having a Mandela effect. I really, when Justice League came out and it was six people, I tried to research. Well, Green Lantern, right? Ryan Reynolds was the unspoken seven. (laughs) Ooh. I just really thought, where did I get this Unite the Seven? But that Comic-Con, I was there. There was Unite the Seven. And when this movie came out, the sixth. Well, here's your seventh. And he's still going by Martian Manhunter? Does he not realize that name is very 60s? And is he hunting himself? Is he is he <laughs> hunting? Is he a manhunter for Martians? Or is he a Martian who manhunts? He's a manhunter as in detective, but he's a Martian. Okay. Martian detective. Think of it that way. Yeah, we haven't been to Mars yet. I, I'm curious what that kind of backstory would be. Yeah, he literally is from Mars. He's not a space alien. He is a Martian from Mars. Well, Mars is space, but... (laughs) Well, you know what I mean. He's not from, like, from some weird planet, like... Krypton. Yeah. Yeah, far away from our solar system. Like, literally Mars. Martian Mars, yes. Maybe he shapeshifted into David Ogden Stiers. (laughs) (laughs) I I will say, maybe I wish he did. I'm not crazy about this design. It's just over-designed. I don't understand why. Simplify it. Like, it's kind of distracting to me how he looks. He looks goofy. Yeah. Martian Manhunter. You know, comic book movies have sold me on silly concepts before, like talking trees. So in a good movie, I could go with it. Here, I'm like, it's a hard sell. Again, which is why he's shape-shifting. He he shows up here looking like Superman, and then he leaves looking like, well, whatever that is. Alienation. <laughs> well, we'll talk more about the sequels in a second. But first, Jacob Stewart. Do you recommend Zack Snyder's Justice League, Jacob? You know, I feel like maybe I've disappointed some. I know one of our behind-the-scenes guy, Jason, like every time Zack Snyder would say something on Twitter in an interview, he'd want to know what my response was because I hated the pretentiousness. Again, my reaction towards this film was how it was being marketed by the guy recutting it, doing his vision, his cut, and I was a little off-put by, uh, again, the very cultish fan base it felt like it had. Like, I guess there a lot of people got a preview of it, and when they finally said, okay, 
the, the embargo's over. You could say your thoughts, and people are like, this is the most amazing thing. It redeems the whole DC universe. Like, it was way too over the top. I'm not buying this. So I was pumped. I was ready for a fight. I, knives out. And I think I've disappointed some people that knew uh, I, I really was ready to dig into this because it's all right. I, I mean, my reaction, it may be a bigger disappointment. I was trying to think of, you know, when was there a big buildup to some kind of fight and it ended up being really disappointing? I went with wrestling because it's cartoonish, kind of like superheroes. And, you know, this really is, for you wrestling fans out there, I really feel like this is Hulk Hogan versus Sting in Starcade 97, if you know what I mean. I was ready for a fight. There's big buildup over the year, like all this pretentiousness. And then he came out and look, I always try to be fair. Whatever my opinions are about Snyder and his aesthetic and his take on these, like I'm going to watch this. And how does this work as a film and set aside all my feelings for the director? And so I did that and I was surprised. Like, look, I, I want another cut. This is this should not be the final cut. There's so much extra stuff in here that doesn't need to be here. But as I was forming my feelings about this film, I, I definitely said, okay, this is why, and, and I'm going to recommend it, and here's why. Then I went back and listened to why I didn't recommend Justice League. I went back to that old podcast, and, and I wanted to see what did I exactly say. And my problem with this film is that it... I didn't care about the characters. Yes, there's big cartoonish action and there's even more cartoonish action in this one. Everything's expanded and I get to see Darkseid and he gets to fight and we get new gods and I love all that kind of stuff. But do I care about the characters? And, and that was my problem with the original one. Ultimately, who cares? Batman? I love Batman, but I don't care about him here. Flash, Cyborg, get rid of all of them. I never want to see these characters again. And that's a problem. And the thing I praised Marvel for, I just did it with WandaVision. They have been able to take characters and rehabilitate them to make them interesting. Wanda, they did that. Black Widow, the Hulk, Thor. They, they've been able to take characters that didn't work maybe the first or second time and give me stories where I'm like, wow, I want more of them. And And so ultimately, I watch this and I'm like, wow, I care more about The Flash. I care a lot more about Cyborg. Like, I find him a fascinating character in this one where I feel like he was so shunned, maybe because of Joss Whedon's personal dealings with the actor, I don't know. But like, Cyborg had so little to do. And so... I got to give this praise just like I've done with Marvel. Like this new cut, yes, it's messy and it's long and not everything is needed. And I don't think it is the miraculous resurrection uh, that some of the Snyder cult has tried to make it out to be. It's still a flawed film, but it made me care about characters that I didn't care about before. Like I want a cyborg film starring Ray Fisher. Like I want him brought back. I will get on that boat now and make those demands on Twitter. I guess I actually won't, but I I do want that. And I'm not going to really judge this as a movie because it's not, it's, it's Zack Snyder trying to tell one big long story that he wanted to do. And it's got a lot of stuff that you wouldn't really need in there, but maybe would stay in there if this was a TV show and you were just going from episode to episode. So it's, it's not a huge redemption for the justice league. It's still a flawed film, but I did enjoy it more and I, it made me care about characters. So that is a recommend Stuart. Yeah, well, you know, I get the first one. The first draft was a recommend. So he'd really have to fuck it up, right? Like, he'd really <laughs> have to, like, shit the bed to be like, oh, no, I get to tell them the way I want to. And it's, oh, it's worse. It's worse than what Whedon threw together at the last minute with incomplete special effects. All comes down to tone, right? More than plot, it's all about the presentation and Zack Snyder wanting to tell this grim parable about world unity and times of strife. And so he's gone to Christopher Nolan. And he's applied that sensibility to a Lord of the Rings style story epic that 
I don't know, sometimes pushes against all of that because Christopher Nolan likes to explain away magic tricks. He likes to demystify supernatural. He wants to look at psychology and science, not orcs and stuff. So there's a lot of lore here that really doesn't mesh with the reality-based you know, concepts of a Nolan universe, you you wind up with a really pretentious Hobbit movie is basically what it is. But I do feel like the somber tone allows Snyder to personalize this big commercial project in a way that feels very nice, very heartfelt, like knowing that he went through that loss with his daughter and then being able to see what he does here with Cyborg and these mournful storylines about children and parents. It's more moving because of that. I think he's able to speak to something personal in this big project that was obviously largely designed to be toyetic and build an entire movie universe. It's clear now that playing into the tragedy is the better way to go. This is the better version of Justice League. I'm going to stop short of saying it's a great movie, though. I do know that Zack Snyder did a little extra for HBO Max in which he suggested things to watch after you watch his cut of Justice League. And the first thing he brings up is Blade Runner. He would like for this to be to Joss Whedon. Justice League, what the Ridley Scott redo director's cut was to the commercialized bastardization of Blade Runner. And I don't feel like, largely because this is four hours, that this is a great movie and that it should be experienced as such. It's way too much filler. It's a TV show. It's a streaming series. That's what I prefer to call it. Blade Runner is slow and sad and you might, some people might be impatient with it, but it is only two hours long and this is four. So I definitely feel like I'd still have liked to see some trimming. I would have liked this to come down to three hours, but I'm definitely going to say it's a solid recommend and the best superhero movie that Snyder has ever made. I agree that this is so much better than Whedon's. The Snyder cult can feel vindicated. I'm sure they're going to prop this up as proof positive. Look how great Snyder's vision was. And those suits of DC and Warner Brothers didn't get it. Well, they're right, in a way. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Snyder had a vision that you just can't bring Whedon into. I don't even think if Whedon had been there from the start, this wasn't the universe to bring Whedon into. I have some sympathy for him, too. I I wouldn't envy any director having to come into that situation. I wouldn't even blame Whedon. It's just, it's a horrible situation to have to come into and try to save. Yeah, it is so much better. And characters are better fleshed out. The CGI is much improved to a fully acceptable level. Even if it doesn't feel as real as, say, Thanos or something, which from the very beginning had all the money they ever needed to make it look like Josh Brolin in makeup. It's still very acceptable, and there's some good action sequences in here. There's real good in this Justice League. The problem is, you really gotta take a long time to get there. And there are moments during this Justice League that I was really engaged and thinking, this is really good, but most of the time, I was bored as shit. It's four hours where there's 90 minutes of good stuff, and the rest is okay stuff, but there's too much of it. You know, when Batman is in that new ending, he's talking to Joker, he's like, when I kill you, I'll do it slow. Because Snyder can't do anything fast. (laughs) Yeah, I dare you to do it with a bullet right now. Get it over with. Try it. Just try to be efficient just once in your life. I struggled 
to maintain attention for four hours, and yet I don't feel it works as a TV series when broken into its chapters, because several of these chapters just are the worst parts of this. It's- and HBO Max agrees with you because they didn't release it that way. They were going to and then realized, nah. Yeah, it's just not going to work episodic because several of these aren't fulfilling chapters, and yet it works as a novel. You know, it reminds me of Peter Jackson's extended cuts of Lord of the Rings. You get more time, but especially in those Hobbit movies, that time is something only the devotees could enjoy. And when you are just wanting to watch a film, if you love these characters and you love the Snyderverse, the same way Lord of the Rings fans love their Hobbits and love Aragon and all of that, and you want to spend more time with Liv Tyler, then those extended cuts are great for you. But they're not great movies. And here, there is a recommendable film in this movie. But this is an assembly cut. This is indulgence to the 10th power. And thus, I didn't have a good time watching it, though I recognize there's good parts in it. So, in the words of Superman, not impressed. Not recommend. Well, maybe you're impressed, but not, yeah, it's not, you're right, cut an hour. I don't think two hours is enough, but four hours is way too much. Endgame was three, and I, I think that's a good runtime. There's a lot of indulgence here, and a lot of plot points that you didn't have to put in. I like the scene where Barry saves that girl from the car wreck, but it's redundant. We've already seen people not keeping their eyes on the road. I didn't need to see Barry save a random stranger and feed a hot dog to some cute puppies. Yeah, they wanted to set him up as a hero, though, because we're not going to see him develop into one, I feel. I'm not telling him where to cut. I'm saying that it needs some, though. It didn't maintain interest as a movie, and I feel the same way about Peter Jackson's extended Lord of the Ring films. I think maybe Fellowship did it right. I think, and I don't know, there were some things put back in that were needed, like Saruman and the third one. I wanted to know where Christopher Lee went, but this was a slog, and while it was, at times, it was an exciting slog, most of all, I just felt mired in the story, and that pacing is everything in a movie, and this is ill-paced. Yeah, I definitely don't recommend that you watch it all at once in one sitting. That seems like a needless devotion to something that you need time with. Yeah, watch it, and when you get to the next chapter heading, if you you feel like you're energized, you want to go on, go on, and and if you want a break, just take a break. Like, there's those chapter headings that really make it easy place to pause it and go do something. Except this was supposed to be released in IMAX. Now, maybe there was going to be an intermission between two I'm glad it wasn't. I didn't want to spend four hours in a movie theater, especially, you know, still in this pandemic. Yeah, well, yeah, but if you saw this in IMAX, even after everybody's inoculated and we have herd immunity, two hours, a 15-minute take-a-piss break, and then two more hours... That's kind of how I watched it, and whew, it's it's kind of hard. Yeah, they need a definitive cut. Blade Runner ended up doing that. There's a third cut of it that said, we're going to make it really the finalized integration of theatrical and director's cut. Uh, we need that. We're not we're not going to review that one though, are we? Yeah, and yet, you know, having this conversation with you guys, I'm very glad we focused on the positives. I'm glad that it wasn't a look how long the scene was conversation and I hope my not recommend doesn't come as whiplash inducing after I said nice things. Much improved over the last one, and if that's success, this movie succeeded, but it just was hard to watch. It it, it just I hear you. I, I feel like Huey Lewis in Back to the Future. I'm sorry, boys. You're just too damn long. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. No, I, I and I and I agree with you. Like it was not enjoyable 
able to sit and watch this without being able to have the luxury of what a normal viewer could of taking some time off. I, I will say, Stuart, you have a stronger recommend than the first one. I went from red to green, and Arnie, I think your not recommend is a weaker not recommend than the 2017 version. So that's a win, right? Like, this is an improvement. All agree it improved. Mm-hmm. There is nobody saying 2017 is the better film. And here's what I want to know. Would you like to see Snyder come back and make the sequel? All agree it improved. Only way we could get him, bring Snyder back. An unnamed Warner Brothers executive describes this film as a, quote, cul-de-sac. You're driving down the road, you're seeing what's there, and then you're turning right back around. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I, I honestly believe that we have been teased a universe we will never see. And Snyder has revealed the entire plots of the next two movies, which I will summarize real briefly, but he wouldn't do this if he thought they were getting filmed. He said specifically, there's no interest from Warner Brothers with him doing more DC. Unless this is huge. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It, yes, if suddenly the subscriptions for HBO Max jump in the same way that they're now comparable to Netflix. But come on, you know, a lot of this is going to get pirated by the same <laughs> fanboys online. They know how to steal a movie. So Darkseid would come to Earth in the second Justice League and team up with Lex Luthor. Okay. Yeah, Lex is sort of dropped off here. I guess that gives him something to do. And Superman would put Lois Lane under Batman's protection while Superman goes and battles Darkseid. Uh, and she would die while Batman was supposed to be protecting her, right? Exactly. They said the theory was supposed to be that Batman would fall in love with Lois, but Warner Brothers nixed that, and he said, well, whatever happened, Lois will die, mm-hmm. Superman will witness it, and Batman fails to save her, so he by hesitating. They were in an argument in his version. They were in a lover's spat, and that's why he died. He was going to rewrite that somehow to appease Warner Brothers. But Batman got distracted. Lois died. Batman got riddled with guilt. And Superman succumbs to the anti-life equation, so he's completely under Darkseid's control. And there's your Empire Strikes Back Justice League 2. Or Batman v Superman, the rematch. Or Infinity War. Yeah, exactly. But then in the last one, Batman, Cyborg, Flash, Mira, Deathstroke, Joker, on on a dark side conquered Earth, evil Superman shows up in the nightmare scene that we saw from Batman v Superman, and it's the fall of Earth until they get the Flash to go back in time and warn Batman, and he realizes he went back too far the first time, and the second time he goes back to the, you know, right piece, Lois is the key, make sure Lois lives. So Batman would finally sacrifice himself to save Lois and avert the timeline. And then we're going to jump 20 years later for an epilogue. Superman and Lois had a baby, named him Bruce, And when Bruce Kent is around 20 years old, they take him to the Batcave and say, your Uncle Bruce would be proud of you to take up this mantle. So Bruce Kent becomes the new Batman. Does he have superpowers if he's half Superman? Yeah. And like, what crime is there if like all of humanity came together and thwarted evil? What's he going to do? Like give out speeding tickets? I'm sure there's still a mobster. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, I can appreciate that that's where it was going. I would have been fine with that, but I'm also fine stopping here. I'll be honest. Like, I would like just to get to the dark side, fallen earth stuff, but the in-between and the love story with Lois, nah. I do like, though, the ending I mentioned before, where all of man and all of Atlantis and all of Paradise Island and the Green Lantern 
go against Darkseid's forces. I mean, that is the end of Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yes. That would be an awesome thing to see. What little we got teased of it here, I would like to see that, but I don't think we're going to. I don't think I need the color guard, whatever. The space colors, me, they're fine. The green lanterns yeah. and the yellow lanterns and the no. red lantern. There's a whole yeah. rainbow spectrum of lanterns. Yeah, if your excitement of this film is because it, it promises some exciting sequels, I, I would say uh, temper that down. Like, that is not why you should recommend this film or watch it, because it's setting up an exciting DCEU universe, because I don't think any of that's ever coming. Can I just temper all my excitement for this story by saying it would be made by Zack Snyder? <laughs> I mean, I don't like 300. <laughs> Although, uh, it should be said, just just to let everybody know, we will be covering Zack Snyder's next movie. He's going back to the, the zombie genre, Arnie. You did like Dawn of the Dead an awful lot. It's the only Zack Snyder movie I love. I can just unrestrictedly recommend it. Come on, you're not a huge Owls of Gahul fan? No, I haven't even seen it. <laughs> Maybe I'll love it, too. <laughs> that is the only Snyder film I haven't seen, is his Owl animated Oh, thing. God, it couldn't make me. Well, what we're going to do first is some Godzilla. We're returning to the MonsterVerse. We thought we'd be doing this a full year earlier, but now we finally get to Godzilla, King of the Monsters, leading up to another HBO Max release, Godzilla v. King Kong, Dawn of Monsterverse. <laughs> oh, there's a subtitle? No. Oh. oh, okay, you're being funny. Okay, like, oh my god, no. And can I just say I'm tempted to recommend Wonder Woman 2, this Justice League, King Kong vs. Godzilla without even seeing it, because I love you, Warner Brothers, for letting me watch these at home. I agree. And not having to travel to theaters that are open or wait endlessly looking at you, Disney, and looking at you, Paramount. Thank you for giving us entertainment in a time we desperately need it. I can't imagine anything sadder than someone getting COVID going to a movie theater to see Tom and Jerry. <laughs> oh! <laughs> but... In the meantime, another series that we're going to get started on, it's an old one, but a good one, Dirty Harry, Clint Eastwood. This Friday for Silver Level Donors, we begin that five-episode journey through his days in San Francisco throughout the 70s and 80s. Yes, how does a cop who abuses the law work in 2021? A very valid question that I can't wait to get some answers to. Hope you can join us. Go ahead. Make that donation. $10 or more gets you the Dirty Harry series. $25 or more is going to get you bonus shows through the summer as we do David Fincher thrillers like Seven and Zodiac and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and all the other Dragon Tattoo movies. The Girl with all these various things. That is a huge series. And Platinum is already out there. We have covered White House Down and The Three Has Fallen movies with Gerard Butler. Those are shows that you can get right now if you make that donation level. And every penny you donate helps go to the show, helps us do really long shows many weeks in a row. Mm. WandaVision last week. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> we've got Falcon and Winter Soldier coming up in just a few weeks. Before that, we've got King of Monsters. It's donors and supporters that make this all possible, make us able to devote the time, make us able to buy new microphones. I didn't sound so great with coming to America. I sound better today. I got a new mic. So thank you to all of the donors. Thank you to all of our supporters. And thank you to the members of our new Facebook group. We have had a lot of fun talking to the people in our new private Facebook group, but you can come and join us. And if you do, you might win something promising. 
Yeah, this is a good prize. This is a movie I want to win. We are giving away five copies of the Oscar-nominated Promising Young Woman. Excellent, excellent film. Highly recommended. I think she's probably going to win Best Actress. I don't know about picture, but yeah, this one is definitely highly decorated. Yeah, it's not the kind of thing that wins Best Picture, but it should. Well, we're giving away five Blu-rays. Now, the Blu-rays will come with a digital code, but this isn't just a digital download. You actually get a disc to keep in your collection of this movie that I've heard good things about and I'm probably going to watch this weekend. All you have to do to enter is join our Facebook group. And if you're already part of that Facebook group, and 600 of you are, and we love talking to you there, you're already entered to win. We're going to announce the winners on that Facebook group on March 26th. So you have till March 25th, just a couple days now. You got to hurry to come join our Facebook group. So we'll be back next week with Godzilla, King of Monsters. Thank you for listening. Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, justice has been served. And it's kind of cold because it took a long time to get there. (laughs) Awesome. As a bad signal, that's your... Oh, shh, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. Yeah, that's, that's what that means. That's so cool. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's DC Movie Universe Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay down! I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Can you imagine how people on this planet would react if they knew there was someone like this out there? You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing. I'm in. You are? Just like that? Yeah. I I need friends. And in the nowplayingpodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other comic book films, such as Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, The Avengers, X-Men, The Punisher, and Fantastic Four. I can't wait to show you my toys. You can also listen to our reviews of other movie series, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. The world's too big, Mom. Then make it small. Need more Now Playing? Subscribe to our In Focus weekly newsletter for exclusive digital download giveaways, celebrity interviews, behind-the-scenes insights, and more. Sign up through the subscribe page on our website and get it delivered to your inbox every Friday. This may be the only thing I do with the mouse. I know you're trying to find out where I hang my tape. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. We need you, and maybe you need us. Support from listeners like you. Help keep Now Playing operating. It would be a huge burden for anyone to bear. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. No money, no honey. And you can join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign for early access to new episodes, exclusive reviews, and bonus reviews. You got your money's worth. Now Playing Podcast is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. That's how it starts, the fever. 
the rage that turns good men cruel. Associate produced by Jason Latham. It is the burden of this responsibility that will define you and who you choose to be. Now playing credit narration by Brock. Sorry, the voices. I'm kidding. That's not what they really said. Now Playing is not affiliated with DC Comics or Warner Brothers Pictures. DC Comics and all that the DC Universe contains are copyright and trademark Warner Brothers Entertainment, and no infringement is intended. I've seen it, Mr. Wayne. He thinks he's above the law. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Today is a day for truth. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Oh, wow, they just, they really just vanish. Huh? Oh, that's rude. Miss me? This is Arnie, co-host now playing, and Stuart. Did we lose Jacob? I think he's just going to take four hours to respond. Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were doing something. I, uh, no. I, thought, I definitely thought you were doing some kind of Snyder-ish. Yeah, let me, let me, I'm going to start doing some Icelandic song for seven Wait, minutes. Which should and... take 30 seconds. I'm going to make take five minutes. Yeah. Okay, sorry. The alien conqueror Darkseed tried to invade... Darkseid. Thank you. I know it looks like Dark Sea. Yeah. I said that for years until I heard it like on podcast. It is Dark Side. It always confuses me though. The alien conqueror Dark Seed. The Side. alien <laughs> It will be Dark Seed. I don't I, care. Tell, I used to, I did this for decades. I, I had to beat I, it out of me. I, I wrote Beowulf for half the fucking Beowulf. Notes. I kept saying Beowulf's back. I don't know why I didn't change it to spell it like the dark Just side. Just dark side, yeah. Instead of spelling it like the nerds. <laughs> the alien conqueror dark side tried to invade and destroy her thousands of years ago. I'm never getting that sentence out. <laughs> he comes around and helps the heroes defeat Steppenwolf. I, I had, to, I should have cut the line about the at least four Russians who were in danger. Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, when was there a big buildup to some kind of fight and it ended up being really disappointing? I went with wrestling because it's cartoonish, kind of like superheroes. And, you know, this really is, for you wrestling fans out there, I really feel like this is Hulk Hogan versus Sting in Starcade 97, if you know what I mean. No. I don't. <laughs> Not on this show. I, I actually got that reference from my brother, who's a big wrestling fan. So, guys, if you have a problem with that analogy, uh, find his email and uh, take it up with him. I just asked him for a good example, but...